meeting of the City Council Public Financing Authority to order. Clerk, can you please take the roll? Certainly. Councilmember Mosier? Here. Councilmember Bolton? Here. Mayor Pro Tem Burns? Here. Mayor Vandermark? Here. Councilmember Strickland? It's not yet arrived. Councilmember McKeon? Here. Councilmember Kalmick? Here. All present. Uh, Councilmember Comments, does anyone have any comments? I do. Thank you. Um, so yesterday was Martin Luther King Jr. Day, which the city of Huntington Beach may or may not um, uh, recognize. I'm completely baffled by um, our most recent attempt, uh, ham-handed attempt, to eliminate our official recognition of the LGBTQ plus community um, by our city through the device of eliminating the recognition of all heritage months. I wonder what Dr. King would say uh, about what's happening in Huntington Beach in the year 2024, 95 years after his birth. Would he still say that the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice? Many people associate that quote with Dr. King, but he actually drew it from an early 19th century theologian and scholar named Theodore Parker. To me, the interesting thing about Parker was that he focused less on religious dogma and more on what he called man's intuitive knowledge of God or moral truths. Not surprisingly, he opposed slavery uh, at a time when some people were using the Christian Bible to justify slavery. His full quote from the year 1858 is, I do not represent, uh, I'm sorry, I do not pretend to understand the moral universe. The arc is a long one. My eye reaches but little ways. I cannot calculate the curve and complete the figure by the experience of sight. I can divine by conscience. And from what I see, I am sure that it bends toward justice. I find it hard to believe that uh, people of good conscience would uh, do things that feel like sitting in judgment of or trying to erase segments of this community. I do not think that such an attitude truly represents our city, uh, the city with the laid back surfer vibe. Now that this matter has been squarely placed before our public conscience, I hope the city's residents show the content of their character when the opportunity presents itself. Thank you. Anybody else have any comments? I do. I just want to say shout out to the Chamber of Commerce. They had their Best of HB Awards this last weekend. Uh, congratulations to all those that won. And I want to just say that the uh, city of Huntington Beach Civic Center was closed yesterday in honor of Martin Luther King, a great man, and just want to acknowledge that. Thank you. Anyone else? Okay, now we'll move on to announcement of supplemental communications. Do we have any supplemental communications? Not for this portion of the meeting, no. Uh, do we have any public comments? No one signed up to speak. Okay. So at this point, um, we're moving on to study session. Staff, could you please introduce your report? Yes, thank you, Madam Mayor. Um, my name is Alvin Papa. I am the Deputy Director of Public Works here at the City of Huntington Beach. Um, I help manage the water and sewer utility, uh, which is a division within the Public Works Department. Supported by me today is Steve Gagnon from Raftelis, um, Anthony Loski from RDN, and then also Chao Vu, uh, Public Works Director. 
Um, so today I'll be talking about the water and wastewater rates. Uh, this is something that we review every five years. And um, a lot of the proposed changes uh, that are forthcoming will be shared in the pre presentation today, along with the Prop 218 process. So with regards to our infrastructure, we have 53,000 metered connections. Um, for water, we have 630 miles of water pipe and nine active water wells. On the sewer side, we have three, 360 miles of sewer pipe and we have 27 lift stations. So this is a lot of infrastructure that we have um, that we manage and maintain within the Public Works Department. Uh, with regards to uh, master plans and rate studies, um, we have a water master plan and a sewer master plan that forecasts and plans into the future um, with regards to the capital improvement projects that are needed in the coming years to ensure that we can continue to provide reliable water um, and, a, and a reliable sewer system. Um, the photo that you see there, that's a picture of our utilities team. They're the people that operate and maintain um, our facilities on a daily basis. And then the, in the lower left-hand quarter, is a copy of the last water rate study that we did back in 2019. Um, as I mentioned, this is something that we do every five years. Um, for the water rate study, we look at the cost of delivering the service. We look at the revenues that are being collected. And then as part of the rate study, we recommend any adjustments that are needed to ensure that um, we can take care of our infrastructure appropriately. On this slide, um, I want to talk about some of the key water infrastructure projects that we have that were identified in the master plan. Um, the number one priority right now are the water wells. We have nine water wells in the city. Six of them are approaching 50 years old. Um, and those wells need to start being replaced or it's going to cost the city money in the long run. For every well that goes down, it's going to cost the city an additional $2 million dollars um, a year in water purchase cost. Um, with regards to some of the other projects, aging pipe replacement, that's to tune of $36 million. We currently replace about one mile of pipe per year. We really need to be doing six miles of pipe per year um, long term. Um, we have a corrosion control project for our import feeders. So this is for the water that comes in from the Colorado River and the state water project. Um, those lines are, are old, and we need to spend some money to make sure that they continue uh, to run well. Our Peck Reservoir, which is our largest reservoir at 17 million gallons, it needs a roof that needs to be replaced. We were actually supposed to replace this a couple of years ago, um, but we did a design study that, that told us we, we had a couple more years, so we opted to push that out a little bit later. And then on-site chlorine and fluoride generation, this is to produce um, chlorine and fluoride on site, which will help um, make a safer and more reliable water system for us. On the sewer side, we have 27 lift stations in the city. Um, our goal is to replace uh, one sewer lift station every two years. This is going to ensure that the stations are up to date, that they have the well capacity, and it helps prevent sewer spills. Um, we have to replace aging pipe that's cracked. Um, a lot of the city was built in the 1960s. Most of the infrastructure is around 50 years old. 
and just everything's coming to head almost all at the same time. So we've got a lot of pipe replacement to do, and a lot of sewer infrastructure repair. Overall on the water projects, we had about $180 million of water projects that need to be built uh, per our sewer master plan. And then on the sewer side, it's $75 million of projects that need to be built. So this is a, it's a lot of infrastructure. Um, so how do we pay for all these projects and, and all these this operations and maintenance service? Well, the rates that we collect um, from the residents through their water and sewer bill, that money goes into an enterprise fund. That fund is a restricted fund that can only be used to pay for water and sewer. So we can't take that money and use it to go upgrade a park. Um, and also, one thing I want to note is that the, the fees that we do collect Customers pay for the proportion of what they use, and that's required per um, Prop 218 regulations. And so with regards to the, the water and sewer rate study, as I mentioned, you know, we, we do this every five years. We look at the cost of delivering the service, we look at the revenues that we're collecting, and then within the rate study, we show what the proposed adjustments look like. Um, ultimately, our goals are long-term sustainability, trying to keep rates affordable, and then we also want to make sure that customers are paying the, the appropriate amount. Um, so we have Raptelis and we have RDN. Um, so they've helped us do the rate study this year. And ultimately, after we completed this whole exercise, the, the proposed rates that you're going to be seeing uh, forthcoming still keep us amongst uh, the lowest in Orange County. So some of the major drivers in our analysis are rising construction costs. As many of you see in some of the council actions that come forward, a lot of the bids that we put out for, for construction are coming in much higher. It's just the nature of doing business. Um, when these rates were last adopted in 2019, it was back before the pandemic began. Ever since the pandemic happened, there's been a, a lot of shift in our economy and the way business is done. So, you know, inflation has been a huge factor. Um, the way commerce and logistics operate is, um, has changed. Electricity has gone up significantly and the price of purchasing equipment has gone up. And just overall, we're, we're seeing across the board large price increases. And, you know, bottom line is we need more revenue in order to balance our budget and to pay for the projects to make sure that our infrastructure continues to operate reliably. Um, on this slide are some of the potential consequences. Um, that could happen if we don't appropriately fund um, our water and sewer infrastructure. Um, really one thing we, we, we want to remind um, our residents is that Water and sewer is a 24-7 operation. Uh, a lot of times we don't see it, we don't see it underground, um, but it's relied upon to work um, at all times of the day. If we have unreliable water, we can have reduced water pressure, um, and then we can have safety challenges, such as if a fire were to occur, we wouldn't have the pressure to fight that fire. If we have a sewer spill, it would contaminate our beaches and it endangers the, the public health and safety of our residents. And then ultimately, if, if we don't comply, then we could be charged fines and even be litigated against. So 
So it really is important for us to ensure that we have adequate funds to prevent any of these things from happening and to also ensure that we have adequate reserves to prevent against emergencies. On this slide, you'll see the reserve targets for fiscal year 2024. Um, as part of this rate study, we didn't modify any of this. This is what we've been doing for the past 20 years. Um, the only thing we're doing is just updating the numbers based on today's dollars. Um, these reserve targets are something that's approved by council every year. It's included in the budget document. And I think in, in this year's budget, it's on pages 93 and 94, 97 and 98, I'm sorry, um, of this year's budget document. So it'll be included as part of the budget. And then for, for water, it's about a $35 million reserve target currently and $11 million for sewer. And so now into the water discussion. Um, as I mentioned, Steve Gagnon from Raftelis is here today. Um, Raftelis has done our last three rate studies, so for the past 15 years. Um, they know Huntington Beach. Um, they understand uh, the needs of our residents. And they also do a lot of um, water rate studies throughout LA and Orange County. So with regards to our water rates, there are four different components. There's a commodity rate, um, which is basically the water that residents use. We take the, the cost that we pay from the Metropolitan Water District and the Orange County Water District. We take those costs, we, we break it down into what it costs for each resident, and that cost gets passed through to the resident um, based on what's actually charged. There is no markup. Um, the next part of the, the, water, the water rates are the fixed meter charge. So this is a meter, this is a charge that's based on the size of the meter and it funds the operation, the daily operations and maintenance of the system. The third component is a capital charge. This funds uh, the capital improvement projects, many of which um, are included in our master plan. And then lastly, a private fire line fee. So this, uh, this covers all the costs of providing fire protection it's everything except the cost of actually fighting the fire, which is what the fire department does. This slide you see here just shows what our CIP project expenditures look like um, over the next five years. We looked at various different categories, the cost to produce the water, um, the replacement costs, any studies needed, and then security and corrosion control. The biggest spend in those first couple of years are to build those three wells and to also cover the reservoir roof and um, the on-site chlorine generation. And then the next largest, what you see there in orange, is a replacement of the old pipe. That's something that's gonna continue now and into the future. Um, so overall, there's a large immediate need and then you'll see us start slowing down towards the, the end of the study. Um, this is a picture of the status quo um, condition. So this is essentially a do-nothing scenario. The orange represents our reserve targets and the blue represents our fund balance. If we do nothing, um, we're, going to, we're going to run out of reserves within three years and we'll be in the negative. Um, so we were aware of this. We, we understood that this was something that was forthcoming, which is the reason why we hired Raftelis um, so Raftelis took a look at um, our cash flow, they looked at our revenues, and they tried to find um, a modest amount of adjustment to our rate 
to help develop a scenario that would meet all our operational needs and help build the projects that we needed to build over the next couple of years. Um, traditionally, City of Huntington Beach has operated on a pay-go uh, process, so we looked at, at uh, managing our cash flow cash only, so there is no debt service uh, included as part of this plan. So you'll see um, the first three years with that dark blue, we'll be spending down some of the reserves, and then towards after that, we'll start rebuilding our reserves, and at the end of the five-year period, um, the goal is to hit our reserve target. And this is uh, similar to the slides two slides ago with the new proposed water rates. You see that um, we're currently at or a little bit above our reserve targets now. We'll be spending our reserves down slowly, and then at the end of the couple of at the end of a couple of years, we'll be building it back and then we'll be back to our reserve target at the end of the study period, which would be 2029. And you, do, you will notice that the reserve target is a little bit higher from 2024, but that's because the reserve changes, um, it changes over time. And so this is, um, a comparison of the fixed O&M charge. So this is the meter fee that pays for those daily operations. Um, this shows what it would look like month by month. This is the first year only of a five-year um, rate resolution. Um, so this is the meter fee. There is no difference between commercial and residential. Everybody pays the same, and it's all based on meter size. And this is per the American Water Works Association standard. Uh, there's a M1 manual that, that tells um, our staff in the industry how this should be done. And so I would say 73% of our customers are single-family residential. Uh, that falls within that three-quarter inch meter size, so that, that top line there. And the difference for them would be about a dollar a month. The next slide you see here is the fixed capital charge. The fixed capital charge pays for all the CIP projects. These are all those projects in the master plan. Um, it's also based on meter size, and, and there is no difference between residential and commercial. This is a, cop this is, um, a table of the third component, the fire service line fee. Um, the city of Huntington Beach is a class one fire system, so this, um, the fees that we collect here help ensure that we maintain um, that rating and help ensure that we provide ad adequate fire protection. And then lastly, the water, um, water rates. So 85% uh, of our groundwater comes from the Orange County Water District, and that's the water that we pump out of the ground from our water wells. And the Metropolitan Water District, our Metropolitan Water District of Orange County we import 15% of our water from them. So the costs that we use to pay for both of those uh, entities, we take those costs, bring them together, and then we, we put it into these rates which are based on CCF, so it's one customer billing unit. That stands for 100 cubic feet or 728 gallons. And so you know, ultimately, um, looking at these costs, you know, at two dollars and sixty-eight cents a gallon, I'm um, two dollars and sixty-eight a customer billing unit. 
the actual cost of a gallon is 0 0.33 cents. So for one, for one penny, you can get three gallons of water compared to a bottle of water, which costs like $2 or something nowadays. And so this is a, a survey that Raftelis did for us of some comparable cities in Orange County. Um, we did not include special districts kind of in this survey, um, but we are currently one of the lowest in Orange County. And even after the rate changes, we'll continue to be amongst the lowest. Um, and we'll, you know, we, we hope to remain affordable now and, and into the future. Now onto the wastewater discussion. Um, as I mentioned, Anthony Loski from RDN is here with us. RDN has performed rate studies for over 40 plus years and um, you know, we're glad to have them partnering with us on this project. Um, so with regards to sewer rate, it differs from the water rate in that there's only one flat fee um, for the sewer rate. Um, there are five different um, customer categories and this is, these are the same customer categories that we've been using since 2001. So about 23 years, it hasn't changed. And all we've done is just adjust the pricing and the numbers. This is what our CIP projects would look like. Um, it's not as smooth as the water one um, because we do have some large expenditures in the first two years. Um, we have two sewer pump stations that were supposed to be delivered um, a couple of years ago. Uh, the challenge with those pump stations is there were some odor issues, so engineering had to pause those projects, figure out some solutions to those odor issues, and then move those projects forward. So these are, this is a backlog of projects that, that you're seeing that's coming forward. Um, and then the other large, large spend in, in this first two couple of years is we have restrooms along the beach path. There are four um, freestanding restrooms that are currently connected to septic. Um, it's an $8 million project and the, the plan is to take those, take those pump stations or take those bathrooms off of septic and connect it to our uh, wastewater collection system. And this is gonna help um, greatly reduce the, the potential for sewer spill at our beaches. And then after we deliver those projects, you'll see our, our CIP projects stabilize to about $6 million per year is what we're, what we're anticipating. Uh, similar to water, um, here's a sewer cash flow analysis. You see the big spend the first two years. We're gonna spend a lot of the reserves the first two years and that was planned and intentional. Um, and then after, after the first two years, we're gonna start working back to build back our reserves and at the end of the five-year period to hit our, um, hit our reserve targets. Um, with regards to um, our cost of service, uh, RDN looked at all of the customer service accounts. I think there are 52,000 customer service accounts. They reviewed the, the sewer flow and they made adjustments based on proportion. Um, and then so the largest change here is commercial. Commercial is going from 12% previous use to 19%. And that's because there's been a change in uses over the years and there's also been a lot of water conser conservation efforts over the years. So just the amount of water that people are using are, are changing in proportion. And so the sewer rates that we have reflect those changes. 
Here's what the fund balance looks like. Um, you see that there's just a large spend, and then it's going to take us a couple of years to get back to our reserve target, but we'll, we'll, we expect to be back there by 2029. And here's what it looks like for our sewer rates. Again, same categories for the past 20 years. Um, the biggest change is in the commercial, um, where we did the adjustment based on um, their proportional usage. And this is the sewer. This is a sewer rate, similar sewer rate survey. Uh, currently, we're in the middle uh, when compared to the rest of the county. And after the rate, uh, the proposed rates are implemented, we expect to to stay still near the middle. Here is a copy of the residential bill impact uh, of what a customer would pay. Currently, residents pay about $62 a month for a single-family residence, and at, at the end of the first year, we can expect uh, a $6 increase. And so this is what it will look like the first year. Um, as part of the Prop 218 hearing, there's a five-year rate resolution that's passed. Uh, there's a couple of tables here that shows what that looks like over five years. This is the commodity rate. Um, Everything on this table is estimated based on the data that we have now from Orange County Water District and MODOC. Um, so we've done our best to estimate it, but when, when we actually get into that fiscal year, these numbers will be adjusted slightly to reflect the actual, um, the actual rates that are set by OCWD and MODOC at that time. And all of this information is gonna be included in the Prop 218 notice that will go out to the residents. This is a copy of the fixed O&M schedule. Um, so all of this accounts for future inflation. Um, we've, Raptelis has estimated the future inflation and they've baked that into the rates long-term. Same thing for our fixed capital charge. This was what it looks like for the fixed capital charge and the private fire service fee. We also have the five-year sewer rate schedule. Um, so this is the, so all these five tables are gonna be included in the Prop 218 notice that goes out to residents. Um, after this study session, we have a draft of the Prop 218. That's gonna be put together in a memo um, that's going to give um, city council a summary of everything we've done, everything we propose to do, and that'll go out to the city council and you guys will have that for your own review before anything goes out to the public for, um, for review. And so what are the next steps? Um, so this is the biggest part of the presentation, which is the, which is the public hearing and the rate change process. So as part of the Prop 218 process, we have to mail notices to all property owners. Um, in Huntington Beach, historically, we've mailed it to all the property owners and to also the tenants within those properties. Um, so we have to do this a minimum of 45 days um, before we have the public hearing. So for us, based on our schedule, we anticipate doing that before the end of 2024. And in order for um, City Council to approve um, the rate changes, we have to make sure that there is not a majority protest. So there cannot be more than 50% plus one in written protests um, against the fees. Otherwise, the, the fees the fee changes cannot be implemented. 
as part of that procedure, if, if approved, we will pass a rate resolution um, as part of that public hearing. Currently, the schedule is uh, April 16th is what we have on the calendar. Second reading will be on May 7th. Then shortly after that, if approved, we'll follow up with um, a memo to city council with what the rates will be and letting you guys know that the, the rates are planned to be effective on July 1st. Um, and so we also do want to mention that we did have two open houses, one in November and one in December, to share information about um, our rates, what the rates pay for, and we did, um, we did these open houses over at the Murdy Community Center and over at the Senior Center. Um, we also advertised on social media, on Facebook, on Surf City Break. Um, and so we, we have got the word out and we do plan on doing significant outreach once the, the Prop 218 notice goes out. So we plan on using um, bill inserts, posting on the city website and using all our, our, all our social media uh, channels. And everything will be, will be bilingual. And so that concludes my presentation. Um, and so myself and the rest of the team are here to answer any questions. Thank you for the presentation. Does anybody have any questions? Councilmember Bolton. Thank you, Mr. Papa, for all the work that you guys have done on this um, study. It's, it's clear that um, you've put a lot into it. I just have a couple of clarifications that I want to make, uh, make sure I understand things. So um, let me ask first um, about slide 32. So I think that was the sample residential bill. Yes. So is that for the first, that representation is just for what it might look like for the first year after if these rates went into effect? Yes. Um, is it possible for you to prepare something like that for the succeeding years just so that we have a sense for what the total impact would be? Yes, absolutely. Um, we have something that we plan on preparing and we'll be providing it to city council as part of the memo that goes out um, shortly after this study session. Okay, thanks. And then my next question um, is on slide 25, and that is, um, I think it's the wastewater charges. I'm going to go back to that. Um, so if I understand your presentation correctly, you said the wastewater charges are the same for everyone. Let's see. Let me make sure I'm going back to the right one. Is that right? Wastewater charges are the same for everyone? Um, Did I hear that correctly, or maybe I didn't hear it? The, the, the wastewater charges are based on customer class. Okay. Um, and so within the rate study, there's a, there's a table that shows how um, rates are apportioned. In short, for um, single-family residential, multifamily residential, and commercial, there's something called equivalent dwelling units, which is something that we use based, it's an estimate based on flow. And then for the educational institutions, um, K through, is it K through seven? I'm sorry. K through yeah, K through eight, yeah. <laughs> and high school, um, yeah. It's it's based on average daily attendance. Mm -hmm. So so the rates the rates differ based on the category. Okay, but, uh, then I'm thank you. Then I misunderstood what you were saying. So the multifamily their rate is nine ten currently, um, and single family is ten ninety eight. Some reading that correctly. Okay, thanks. And then one final question is um, the reserve um, targets on slide 12. Just curious how those are developed. Is there um, an industry standard or a best practice or something like that for what we set as a reserve target? 
Yeah, so these reserve targets are the same targets we've been using for the past 20 years. Um, so a lot of times there are industry standards. Um, I think some cities at their own discretion can deliberate on what works best for their city. Um, we haven't changed anything here. All we did was just use what historically Huntington Beach has used. Um, and so it's, it's been working well for us. And I think, Chow, you have something? For um, the water fund, it's 25% of the operating budget. For the water master plan, 507, it's 150% of the annual five-year CIP. So that's the formula we use to calculate reserve. Mm -hmm. But that's just based on, that's historically what we've done. Um, and yes. so not necessarily, you know, there's not necessarily some body out there that's telling people that, oh, here's a, you know, Is the rate. industry 100% about? So I'll just say that three months of O&M is very common with a lot of my clients. For the capital reserve, 100% of average five-year CIP is very common. And then uh, emergency reserves are less common, but we think it's a very good idea to have an emergency reserve so you're prepared. And it is common to have uh, the cost of one of your critical assets if it goes down, which is what you have here, is one well. Okay. So I'd say just on the capital reserve, you're just a hair higher, but that's not to say that you're wrong. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's very helpful. Thank yep. you. Those are all my questions. Does anyone else have? Council Member Kalnick. Um, so our water rates are, are determined on usage, right? And um, we've had historical droughts where, unfortunately, for water uh, providers like us, we ask people to use less water, and therefore we have less revenue. Um, what type of grout, uh, drought modeling have we put into these numbers for going forward that we're likely to see um, kind of this boom-bust cycle with weather now? I'll, I'll let you answer that, Steve. Well, we... Um we didn't calculate what's known as drought rates, which some agencies have, which is when if a certain district or city enters a certain drought stage, you have the ability to enact a drought rate. Um, we don't have that, but I would say that something that is common for water districts or, or uh, water utilities is a rate stabilization reserve. If you're revenue decreases during a drought, you can pull from that rate stabilization reserve. Now, while you still don't have a formal rate stabilization reserve, I would say you're well-reserved compared to a lot of cities, and I think you could pull from your reserves. But in terms of modeling a decrease in water use, we have the same exact water use as fiscal year 22. Okay. I mean, I'm just saying, like, if the state, I mean, what about 20... 1920-ish, yeah, when was, effectively, like, when we were asked to curtail water usage, like, pretty precipitously, and maybe that was 2017, I don't know, whenever I pulled my lawn out. <laughs> I, I, I can jump in a little bit. Um, so, um, initially, there was a thought about looking at something with regards to, you know, um, drought resiliency within the rate, um, but when we went through this last drought exercise, what was it, two years ago, and um, our water conservation um, uh, team, they put out the message for residents to, to conserve water and we had a target. When we, we had that presentation and we did um, some outreach, after that whole effort, we were able to save 10% of water, I think within the first one or two months. Um, and I think the governor said to save between 10 to 20%. So we were one of the first cities to hit the target and we did pretty good through, through the overall effort. So I think at 
at this time, I think if we we're in a situation where we're, we need to call the residents to reduce and pull it in our, you know, look into our water shortage contingency plan and implement some measures, we feel that we could, we could weather pretty successfully, but we could look at, um, we could look at the something drought related in the next cycle. Right, I mean, my question was more of the income for, to meet revenue targets, uh, not necessarily our ability. I mean, we came together and we've been I'm pretty good at cutting, yeah, uh, cutting water usage when needed, but it's really more of the, how are we gonna hit some of these, like we're gonna dip down into reserves and we're gonna build them back up, but you know, in two and a half years, say drought kicks in, we are, are asked to cut 25%. I'm assuming that's 25% of our um, water usage budget is now, or it was off. Well, it'd be um, a little less than that because you have a fixed charge, so you have a certain amount of fixed revenue coming in. Sure. But just to give you a little bit more detail, in fiscal year 21, you sold 11 million HCF of water. In fiscal year 22, you sold 10.6 million HCF of water. So we're modeling it as if you will sell 10.6. So there is a little bit of a buffer, 3% decrease in water use uh, of a buffer there in water sales. Okay. Uh, Councilmember Kalmick, yeah. maybe I'll just jump in here. And I think what he, um, what he just pointed out is we have a fixed fee, that's the um, meter fee for fixed costs. And so so that will be maintained even if people use less I mean, water. Because our, and our water usage rate is a, a pass-through. Adjustable costs. Okay. Now maybe if it was 25% or more, that might be a problem, but, um, but the cost, um, the variable costs will vary and that fixed fee will help, should cover most of the fixed costs. Okay. Except on extreme ends. Okay, and then, which leads me to the next question, which is tiered rates. I know some other water districts have tiered rates where you're charged more for more water usage. Um, are we not there yet? Are we there yet? I know we have like a disparate socioeconomic um, clientele uh, with it throughout the city. Um, and obviously this affects everybody equally based on, I mean, effective water usage, but the fixed charges affect those that have uh, fewer resources uh, more than those that have more resources. So um, I guess there's a cost recovery discussion and a Prop 218 discussion I think San Juan Capistrano got into several years ago, but now I've seen that other, other agencies have tiered water rates. So was that something that we evaluated or is that something for the future or just doesn't fit for Huntington Beach? So about 10 years ago, the city um, considered tiered rates and the council directed staff not to do them. Mm -hmm. And we haven't looked at them um, at this point in time. Okay. But they're still legal. It's still a, it's a tool if on you, our tool belt. If they're restructured, actually I'd ask the consultant to. We do a lot of tiered rates and we believe they're legal. Okay. Yeah. All right, cool. Um, Just one more thing, your fixed revenue is 45% of your revenue. Okay. So during a drought, you would still get at least 45% of your revenue. Okay. Um, and which leads me into, so none of this includes stormwater though, right? This was just sewer and water. We still have a large issue with stormwater we have to deal with as well. And then would that be a future Prop 218 discussion from the same group of folks or is that a whole different ball of wax? The stormwater rates are not included as part of um, the study. Okay. But we do we have stormwater rates? No. Okay. It's funded by general fund and... Um, Budgeted as part of the, the city's budget process. Okay, thank you. Council Member Moser.
I'll, oh, thank you. <laughs> and we'll include the Prop, Prop 218 outreach as well. Um, and you mentioned that for residents that the letters would go out um, and property owners and tenants. Does yeah. that also include uh, commercial outreach or commercial property owners? Yeah, we, we plan on doing outreach. I think with the commercial property owners, we can, we can look at a model, maybe reaching out to downtown, um, the downtown association, and um, we'll, we'll look at it. We haven't, we haven't planned anything specifically, but it's something that, um, based on your comments, something that we can take in and we'll, we'll do something. Yeah, just because I know we looked at the um, single-family resident um, version of what will happen, but with the wastewater rate comparison on the commercial side, it goes up about 100% from the current to the proposed. So yes. I just, I don't know what that actually looks like for a commercial um, property owner, but I just, it looked a little bit more impactful. Yeah, so we actually created that slide in anticipation of this question. So uh, this slide you see here is what it would look like for a commercial property owner. So typically if, if you're a commercial um, property owner with a two inch meter, typically your bill would be about $336. So you can expect your bill to go up um, to four hundred dollars a month. Okay. Okay. And this is this is um, basically ensuring that they're paying their proportional share of, of what's actually being used based on their flow. Great. I just hope we have, like you were talking about, a way to be able to outreach to them as well. Yeah, and we will do that. And thank you for that. Thank you. Anyone else? Okay, we'll move on to closed session announcements. Including in closed session, we'll be in conference with labor negotiators, government code section 54957.6, agency designated representatives, Eric Parra, interim city manager, also in attendance, Teresa St. Peter, interim director of human resources, Travis Hopkins, assistant city manager, Michael E. Gates, city attorney, and Sunny Hahn, chief financial officer. Employee organization is the Huntington Beach Firefighters Association. Do I have a motion and a second to go to recess?
I'd like to reconvene the regular meeting of the City Council Public Financing Authority. City Clerk, could you please take the roll? Certainly. Councilmember Mosier? Here. Councilmember Bolton? Here. Mayor Pro Tem Burns? Here. Mayor Vandermark? Here. Councilmember Strickland? Here. Councilmember McKeon? Here. Councilmember Kalmick? Here. All present. Thank you. Next, we'll move to the Pledge of Allegiance, led tonight by Mayor Pro Tem Pat Burns. Please stand if you can, right hand over the heart, begin. Next, we will move on to the invocation, which will be given by Police Chaplain Bob Ewing. Thank you, Mayor Vandermark. And just as I asked at the beginning, I wanted to talk about what I'm going to pray tonight. Um, usually, when I pray, I spend time and I write out my own prayers. But every once in a while, I find a prayer that is, to me, is, is, says a lot. Uh, Peter Marshall was the chaplain of the United States Senate from 1947 to 1949. And uh, I read his prayers. And this is what a prayer he prayed the very first meeting of the Senate in 1947. So would you all bow with me? Almighty God, we need your power obtained through prayer to solve problems, decide issues, and to do your will. But let us not imagine that this formal prayer can take the place of private prayer. May there arise from every home, every person, every leader, the silent prayer that seeks to know your will. We long for such guidance that when a thing is right, we shall all know it. And when it is wrong, it will not be proposed. We pray that we would not run away from truth, but find a refuge in it. We pray that we would not avoid the discipline of hard thinking, but deliver us, O oh God, from wrong thinking that leads to wrong conclusions. Guide us this day for your sake and for the sake of our city. Amen. Next, we're moving on to closed session reports. Uh, City Attorney, do you have anything to report from closed session? Thank you, Mayor. Nothing tonight. Announcement of supplemental communications. Do we have any supplemental communications? Yes, we do, Mayor. For invocation item number five, one email received. For City Manager's report number six, nine email communications regarding the proposed 2024 celebration calendar program. City Attorney's Report Item 8, one email received regarding high-density housing. Consent Calendar Item 9, a memo from myself requesting approval to revise the December 19 minutes. For Consent 11, an email communication regarding the annual review of the City Code of Ethics. For Consent Item Number 12, email communication regarding reappointments to the Independence Day Board. For Administrative Items Number 19, two email communications regarding the fiscal year 23 through 27 strategic plan by annual progress update number one. For council member items number 20, an email communication regarding Mayor Pro Tem Burns item regarding Roan Lane and the OC San Rec Miller Holder easement. For item 21 under council member items, another email communication regarding council members Bolton, Kalmick and Mosier item regarding Roan Lane and the OC San easement issue. And for item 22, under council member items, an email received regarding the expedited plan check for development. That's it. Thank you. Do we have any public comments? Anybody <coughs> signed up to speak? Yes, we do right now. We currently 
We have 48 signed up to speak. Thank you, and due to the number uh, of comments, we will be reducing the time to two minutes in order to get through our city business within a reasonable hour. At this time, City Council will receive comments from members of the public regarding any topic, including items on the open session agenda. Individuals wishing to provide a comment may do so in person by filling out the request to speak from the form delivered to the City Clerk. All speakers are encouraged but not required to identify themselves by name. Each speaker may have up to three minutes unless the volume of speakers warrants reducing the time allowance. Please note that the Brown Act does not allow discussion or actions on topics that are not on the agenda. Members of the public who would like to speak directly with a council member on an item not on the agenda may consider scheduling an appointment by contacting the City Council's Administrative Assistant at 714-536-5553 or emailing the entire City Council at city.council at surfcity-hb.org. Could you please call up the first 10 speakers? Certainly. Um, please approach both podiums so we can move more smoothly. Andrew Einhorn, Barbara Shapiro, Shirley Detloff, Meg Robinson, Tony Dawes, Carol Dawes, Kathy Ryder, Martha Elliott, Barb Van Dyne, Barbara Richardson. Go ahead. Remember the Seinfeld episode, The Smelly Car, where Jerry and Elaine valet their car only to discover a persistent and overpowering odor, a body odor in their car? Well, the majority's amendments are like body odor. They stink. Let me tell you why. If the Huntington Beach taxpayers only knew the unnecessary cost of conducting this election, they'd be furious. The majority spent about $500,000 just on this scheme to get it on the ballot. It doesn't even take into account the cost of running in the election. Try to stay awake up there if possible. The majority states a plethora of lies combined with alternative facts about voter fraud in Huntington Beach as an attempt to suppress the vote. Then have our taxpayers pay millions for this election stunt when our city is facing serious challenges. To pay for this scam, services will re be reduced. This would include library hours, repairs of the city infrastructure, and other services. Maybe our majority thinks that they can purchase all the necessary equipment cheaply on eBay or Amazon. Is the majority studying how to run this election via YouTube videos? This lame majority has no clue how to run an election. The Orange County Register of Voters should handle the elections. And I would suggest the majority visit the Orange County voter office on February 7th from 4 to 7 p.m. when they have an open house so you can learn something about running an election. Staff will provide facts, voting procedures, because it does matter who counts the votes. Several topics will be conducted there, and due to time restraints, I will not discuss them. Thank you. Your time's up. The next speaker, please.
My name is Tony Dawes. I'm a resident of Huntington Beach. I'm the former president of a 500-person engineering firm based here in California. And I was the executive vice president for a multinational engineering firm where I managed Western U.S. operations. Uh, in my profession, I've dealt with costs, budgets, and estimates in the many millions of dollars on a daily basis. Uh, I'm mystified that the City Council has not put, um, has, has put Amendment A on the ballot without any kind of a cost analysis. Mr. Gates has stated the adoption of this measure may result in additional currently undetermined costs to the city because the city does not currently perform the election activities. But then he goes on to contradict himself and say that if adopted, it will increase the city's election-related costs in an amount that cannot be precisely determined at this time. Mr. Gates appears to avoid the issue of costs because they cannot be, in his words, precisely determined. Can they be estimated to the nearest half million? How about to the nearest million? Can I put a range on it? Is the math too difficult? Just the cost to place this poorly worded ballot on the measure was over 400K. And I remember hearing something about an initial estimate to implement this measure would be in excess of a million, but did not include all the costs. That sounds like a start. And what about potential litigation costs? I've worked with attorneys for 30 years, and they routinely develop estimated litigation costs, costs to defend, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe Mr. Gates is unwilling to estimate the cost for fear that the residents will be unwilling to vote for this ill-conceived idea. Estimating the cost cannot be that difficult. Mr. Gates, please do your job. Amendment measures B and C are just plain silly. Regarding Measure B, we don't need to change the city's charter to decide what flag to fly in honor of whatever it is we'd like to recognize, whether it's the Olympics or something else. It seems the city council already has that power. Just vote on it. Regarding C, transparency and the activities of any city council is a good thing. This acts to limit transparency. What are we trying to hide? Costs? The city council needs to get about the business of running the city one that has a growing deficit that will require cuts to services. Stop spending money we don't have. It's bad business, and it's bad city governance. Thank you. Thank you. Good evening, members of the council. My name is Shirley Detloff, a resident since 1964. I'm here tonight to discuss the March 5th election where there will be three ballot measures regarding our charter. I had hoped that this <coughs> By this time, you would have re reconsidered and these measures, because of public outcry, would not be on the ballot. All of you took an oath of office when you were sworn in as council members. At that time, with raised hands, said that you would respect and obey the Constitution of the state of California. However, by putting ballot measure A on the ballot, you did not keep that promise. The state does not require voter ID, and yet you will be asking voters to vote to allow it in Huntington Beach. The state has warned you that they will take action if this is accepted by the voters. A court case would take money, and our ability to win has not been very good. The voter has already provided voter ID where they registered to vote. Fraud has never been a part of the county election process, which you have said is one of the reasons you are proposing it for our citizens. In fact, the county elections have received high praise for being well run without fraud. The county may request that Huntington Beach not be part of the election that they oversee. Then we will be fixed, faced and fixed with very high cost of doing our own elections, which would include voting equipment, places for voting, and costs that even you have not been able to define. And who will pay for all of this? What services do we have to give up? Park and beach maintenance, uh, library hours and libraries closed, raids, uh, road maintenance put off, and that goes on and on. It has already cost taxpayers money by putting 
this on the March ballot instead of waiting until the next election, since these changes would not even take place until 2026 at a cost of $500,000. The second measure is ridiculous, since you already have the, count of the right as a council member to determine what flags can be flown on city property. Thank and you. It should never be a part of the charter. <laughs> Next speaker. Life is full of surprises. When I first moved to Huntington Beach, I was really pleasantly surprised at all the city had to offer. Perfect weather, sparkling beaches, libraries, central parks, great schools, paradise. Since the election of this new council majority, I've gotten some more surprises. What's in this box? It says two Huntington Beach residents from Gracie, Casey, Tony, and Pat. What could it be? Let's see. Oh my gosh, it's sausages. It says measure A, measure B, and measure C. Look at that. I think Mark Twain said there's a few things that should, people should never watch being made. That's laws and sausages. Measure A. Measure B and Measure C. I'm voting no on those. I think there's something else in the box, though. Maybe it's something better. Wait. It says to Huntington Beach taxpayers. What does this say? Oh, it's a bill. Oh, my gosh. We're going to be charged millions of dollars for these sausages. <laughs> and... What's this here? It says to Huntington Beach residents, it says, what? Services are going to be cut? Look at all these services that are going to be cut. We're getting, all we're getting are these lousy sausages. We don't even know what's in them, and we're getting a bill, and we're getting a cut in service. patriots demand transparency in their laws, not these sausages, that nobody knows what's in them. Thank you. Your time's up. Good evening, my name is Carol Dawes, Huntington Beach resident for 29 years. Um, I'm specifically talking to the four. When you campaigned, you were all about fiscal conservatism. What's happened? Uh, you're spending our tax money as if it's money to burn. You came into the office with a sizable surplus and you're eating up funds with political stunts like setting up local elections with voter IDs even though most Huntington Beach residents vote by mail, and there have been no incidences of election fraud. There is no city in the state of California that has been successful with voter ID. This is a political stunt. And you're also not factoring in all the litigation fines we'll be slapped with in the months and years ahead. Here's a short course on city government. City councils are entrusted with public funds, which come from taxpayers. 
Frivolous spending represents misuse of these funds, diverting resources from more necessary or beneficial public services and projects like infrastructure, parks, beaches, library, and public safety. Why was no cost analysis presented to the public before embarking on this path? If I ran a company like this, I would be fired. So at this point, if we're going to be losing millions of dollars, it's so clear to me and everybody in this room that the only answer is no. Vote no on all ballot measures. Finally, I want to make one comment about the revised city celebration calendar. You've added lots of new groups and causes and even illnesses, which is a noble effort, but there's absolutely no recognition of Pride Month. In fact, there's no mention of our LGBTQ community for the entire year, yet a 2023 Gallup report reveals that between 7 and 10% of the adult population identifies as LGBTQ. For Gen Z, it's one out of five. Many of you and your- Thank you, your time's up. Go ahead. Hi, I'm Martha Elliott, a resident and property owner since 1992, and I have a video to show you. Jimmy, would you cue it? Huntington Beach's conservative city council once again diving into the culture We're expecting a jam-packed meeting at the Huntington, the Beach, Huntington city Beach city council, city council tonight. is set for a debate. Although this morning, the Huntington Beach city council has approved a new ordinance. There's a ballot measure in Huntington Beach that aims to boost voter security through ID requirements and the monitoring of ballot drop-off sites. Strickland, Gracie, Burns, and McKeon all campaigned on no changes to the city charter, but lied to us. Why not move all of these to November, give our voters a much higher turnout, and save this 400000 something odd dollars? We've been talking about the challenges within our budgets. We already have our elections run by a stellar organization who has proven that we have very safe elections. It's very unlikely that the OC registrar would change their voter ID system just for Huntington Beach residents. If we were the ones to take this over, we don't even know the dollar amount that it would cost. According to the city attorney's own impartial analysis, it will increase the city's election-related costs in an amount that cannot be precisely determined at this time. Here we are talking about trying to solve a problem that doesn't exist and spend our taxpayers' money on that problem. Why? The city would have to purchase its own voting machines, maintain and store them. And what's that going to cost? They'd have to hire election personnel and train them. And what's that going to cost? They'd have to pay for additional polling locations, as well as counting and certifying the city election results and many other expenses. What could possibly go wrong? So what services would be cut to pay for the city-run election? This is going to have long-standing ramifications to our community, to our city, to our infrastructure. We had our libraries potentially on the line. I would prefer that my tax dollars go towards city services, such as increase. Thank you. Thank you. Barbara Richardson, 51-year resident of Huntington Beach. I want to remind all Huntington Beach voters to vote no March 5th on city charter measures A, B, and C. A could end up costing the city millions of dollars. B and C are risky and unneeded. 
The new heritage calendar is on tonight's agenda. It lists what celebrations and holidays will be recognized. But what about the holidays and celebrations that are not listed? Can city departments still promote these holidays and celebrations? Example, Cinco de Mayo is not listed. Could a city department have a Cinco de Mayo celebration and celebrate it? Pride Month is not mentioned. Could a city department feature a display or have a program featuring Pride Month? What happens if a department does feature something not mentioned on the city calendar? What are the consequences? My second concern is about moving all the children and teen library books deemed to be unacceptable into the adult book stacks and then denying access to the adult book stacks to those under the age of 18 without parents' permission. When are you planning to start moving these books and when will the public know what titles will be moved? How is the council planning on preventing minors from accessing a, the adult bookshelves at Central Library without breaking current fire and safety regulations? The Central Black Library is a four-story building. The adult book stacks are on three floors with no interior walls uh, surrounding the book stacks. I don't know how this can be done without redesigning the building, which could cost thousands if not hundreds of thousands of dollars. Again, I want to encourage residents, since the city is now in a deficit and the city departments are facing looming budget cuts, to vote no March 5th on city charter amendments A, B, and C. They are too risky, too expensive, and we, the taxpayers, we just can't afford it. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Good evening, Mayor and City Council. My name is Mary Jo Baratich. I'm a resident of 40 years here in the city of Huntington Beach. I wish to speak about item number 11, the annual review of the city code of ethics. All the council members should be subscribing to it, be bound by it, and you should be following it scrupulously in serving the public trust. The categories are responsibility, fairness, respect, and honesty. The other side, I'd like to mo focus mostly on the responsibility that you should be prudent stewards of public resources and actively consider the impact of your decisions on the financial and social stability of the city and its citizens. Being prudent means acting and showing care and thought in the management of our fiscal affairs. With Measure A, this council majority has not only failed to be prudent, but has arrogantly violated the ethical standards which should be observed in their decision-making. There's been no financial analysis of costs and resources required to implement this measure. There are no impact studies to justify its actions. Our Orange County Register of Voters handles the elections in a responsible, prudent, and legal manner. There have been no assurances from the county or the state that what is being proposed is legal and could be coordinated effectively. In fact, Measure A is not justified in any way and could wind up damaging our election integrity instead of securing it. The state of California does not require voter ID at the voting polls. Identification is shown when registered to vote in person at the Orange County Register of Voters Building or even online. The online uh, procedure is completed by the California Secretary of State's website. It appears that the county and the state are turning their backs on what the council majority wants to do. And as we know, our city is becoming a laughing stock in articles such as from. Thank you. Your time is up. I am strongly urging my fellow HB voters to vote no on measures A, B, and C. 
Measure A has a lot of questions that are unanswered. Obviously, cost. The city staff estimated startup cost of approximately $900,000, uh, and in addition to $900,000 each election, I have a feeling that's an underestimate. Security, how is my vote going to be protected? What will this security setup be? Where will my ballot, my information be stored? How will ballots be transported and counted? How will hacking be prevented? All goes back to cost. Who will be in charge? Will another person have to be um, hired to take care of this? Without a concrete plan being put it, uh, forth, if Measure A passes, the city council majority and city attorney will have carte blanche and a blank check regarding what they choose to do in the elections. Can they be trusted with this responsibility? Don't give them the control over our elections with such unforeseen consequences and unanswered questions. No, on Measure B, the flag issue with a totalitarian twist hiding in plain sight. Why require a unanimous vote to change the flag policy? The city council and city attorney want to control the city well past their tenure. This is especially important when the flag policy has always been about the gay pride flag. Not satisfied to just pass an ordinance blocking it, Measure B, along with the gay bashing library issue and the transphobic language of the dignity um, policy, uh, seeks to erase the presence of the LGBT community from all things HB. If this seems paranoid on my part, further proof can be found in item 624-020, in which Gay Pride Month is glaringly absent from the month of June celebrations. Um, do we want Huntington Beach to be known as a homophobic, isolated enclave of exclusion or one of acceptance and inclusion? Please consider what the real agenda is on Measure B and vote no. Thank you. Next speaker. Good evening, voter and homeowner in Huntington Beach since 85. What does it mean to be free? It means that one can make choices and decisions that impact their lives as long as their choices and decisions are within society's norms and laws. During 2023, members of the city council used the word freedom while explaining why a particular action is being taken. Unfortunately, many actions by this council have taken away some of my freedoms or choices. I no longer have the freedom to have 100% renewable energy from the OCPA. And as of June 2024, I will no longer even have the freedom to choose my own utility provider. I no longer have the freedom to back my car into a parking space in the city lot or a parking structure. And I no longer have the freedom to actively use my cell phone in a city-operated parking structure. I can't file an anonymous complaint for business. I no longer have the freedom to make a public comment at a city council meeting from my home. I no longer have the freedom to hear an invocation from a broad range of religious leaders. And there are so many unknowns about the process for voting in city elections that there is every likelihood that I will lose the freedom to vote by mail or lose the freedom to only go to one voting center to cast my ballot. So stop taking away our choices and wasting time on issues that do not enhance the quality of our lives here in Huntington Beach. I urge my fellow voters to vote no on all of the March 5th ballot measures. They are costly both now and who knows how far into the future. Our freedom to vote when, where, and how is on the line. And to the Republican members of this council and their supporters, bless your heart. Thank you. Next right. speaker. Oh. I'm gonna call the next group. Um, last recall for Barb Van Dyne, Brianna Lee, Libby, Hera Poon, Guest P, Diane Bentley, Jeff LeBeau, 
Cooper Carrasco, Joanne Arvizu, Buffy, and Linda Moon. Please come down to approach both podiums. Go ahead. Hi, um, I'm Hera Poon, and I'm here today to speak in opposition to some of the charter amendments, specifically Measure A, which is going to be requiring the voter ID for municipal elections. So this amendment was first proposed with the intention to protect voters and ensure the integrity of our elections. And I find it ironic how this amendment will do anything but that. Election integrity itself refers to the fairness of the entire voting process and how well the process protects against election subversion and voter suppression. So how will the city deliver its election integrity when the basis of its proposal lies on voter suppression itself? Strict voter ID laws reduce turnout by around three percentage points, which translates to around 4,000 people in Huntington Beach. Additionally, voter ID laws disproportionately affect marginalized populations with 18% of all citizens over the age of 65 and 15% of low-income Americans have no acceptable form of photo ID. This data is not based off of opinion, nor is, it, nor is the lack of an ID based on a lack of competence. Rather, it is the systematic barriers preventing access to identification. The implementation of a voter ID law will only add another barrier and make it increasingly difficult for public participation in government. Another issue with this measure is the incalculable cost. The proposal itself cites that this will increase the city's election-related costs in an amount that cannot be precisely determined. Does our city even possess the infrastructural capabilities to perform such an unpre unprecedented maneuver? In the absence of empirical evidence of election fraud, why should funding be poured into creating a whole new election system that will simultaneously pick a fight with the state? Nobody wins with the passing of this measure. Our city will blindly pour funding into a solution that solves nothing, while Huntington Beach becomes the laughingstock of California. Prevent this and vote no on Measure A. Thank you. Go ahead. Hi, everyone. My name is Brianna, and I'm here to speak in strong opposition of Measure B regarding the flying of only government flags and requiring a unanimous vote in order to change the policy. Time and time again, the conservative members on this council have renounced identity politics in the name of patriotism and cohesion. We hear the same repetitive phrases, phrases exclaiming how everyone is an American and Huntington Beach citizen first, and therefore we are going to remove all signs of support for other groups because acknowledging them is inherently unequal. I want everyone to consider, however, all of the policies that have been proposed in the last few months. The revisions made to the policy on human dignity, the regulation of library books, and even the charter amendments. Each and every single one of these policies, no matter how noble the intention, has put our city in a negative light. Our city has been thrown into the spotlight, so much so to the point that we have been deemed the Florida of California, and many consider it embarrassing to live here. I wanted to further conceptualize and quantify this idea as evidence that our city is devolving into an epicenter of culture wars and extremism. So I decided to launch a poll on my social media that asked if kids, mostly my age, would want to live in Huntington Beach after graduating high school. I got hundreds of responses and discovered that over 60% of kids would want to move after graduating. 
Now, obviously, there are a lot of other reasons for why someone would or wouldn't want to live here besides the political climate. Many of those who said they would still want to live here said so because of the weather, location, or family. And likewise, many people who wouldn't want to live here said for career reasons. Despite this, the vast majority of individuals who stated no brought up reasons involving our reputation as a conservative city. And so I wanted to bring up some anonymous quotations from my study. I wouldn't want to live here because there are so many other places that are more inclusive and understanding. It's a racist breeding ground, and I love Huntington Beach's natural beauty, but the politics suck, especially because I'm gay. Each of these quotes from my peers allude to a deeper issue of inclusivity in my city. As a city and as people, we can do better. There's still time to do what's right, and to do that, we must. Thank you for coming. Good evening. Our mayor, Casey Tony Pat, all voted to spend nearly $500,000 to put measures A, B, and C on their primary election ballot on March 5th, and want to spend unknown millions of dollars on all our uh, HB election run by their ways. This video shows that even our mayor doesn't really believe in walk-in voting. If you don't want to show an ID, you're still welcome to mail in your ballots. <laughs> this is just um, another option. We are not taking anything from anyone. This is just another option for those who feel they would like to do this. say an option, some people might say an obstacle. Thank that, you. Next speaker. All right. That was awesome. Uh, normally, I don't go off the agenda, but this one's really important. Uh, I want to talk about the ballot measures, particularly measure A. Uh, you might think scoring voter ID requirements is a win, and I won't try to change your mind on that. Um, in fact, I know people who uh, support voter ID who will be voting no on Measure A, and there's multiple reasons for this, but let me start with, um, they know that our city is unfortunately ill-equipped and um, lacking the funds to do this. Last year, I had the pleasure of doing the Citizens Academy. Uh, one thing that we heard a lot was um, that uh, people were introducing themselves as um, acting or interim. Additionally, I heard more than once that the city staff were doing the work of two or three people. So running our elections uh, now is like a short-staffed restaurant deciding to start making their own bread when they already have an excellent local vendor. Uh, who's running this? Does the city clerk get more staff for this? I mean, I think it's the city clerk. I don't know. They didn't say? I don't know. Um, for those that weren't watching last year's budget balancing proposal uh, meeting, the city proposed closing multiple libraries, uh, including the Main Street Library, closing the Senior Center on Saturday, and a boatload of other cost-saving measures. Cities that consider stuff like that should not put more on their plate, okay? Now on top of all this, like even if it was unimpeded, the AG already sent a warning letter saying he's gonna sue the city if they do this. It's against California state law. So it's not gonna work even unimpeded, but on top of that, it's against California state law. It might be cool to give the middle finger to the AG, but cool doesn't keep our parks clean, or our beaches clean, or our libraries open, or our schools open. Doesn't do that, okay? So we don't, it's not gonna benefit us, benefit us to fight that. It's not gonna work. 
It's worth noting that this is just municipal elections, so if you watch 10,000 Mules and think this is your way to fight that, it's not. This isn't going to affect the president. Thank you. Next speaker. My name is Diane Bentley, and I'm speaking tonight against measures A, B, and C that will be on the ballot for the March 5 election. These proposed changes to the HB City Charter are misguided, dangerous, and above all, very costly for HB taxpayers. Measure A foolishly seeks to remove the election process from the very effective OC Registrar of Voters, despite the fact that there are zero cases of voter fraud in HB. The result would be to intimidate voters and diminish our voting rights, and the city does not have the experience or the equipment necessary to conduct our own elections. As other cities have discovered, it would cost millions of dollars to set up and run our elections, and HB taxpayers would be on the hook to pay for those unnecessary expenses at a time of serious budget deficits. Vote no on Measure A. Measure B takes the issue which, of which flags to fly on city property and blows it out of proportion by demanding that only certain flags be allowed and that changes to that list can only be by unanimous consent of the council. No other charter provision requires such unanimous consent, yet this one does, about flags? What can the motivation be for this measure other than to create dangerous divisiveness among our residents? It's evidence of a mean streak on the part of those who propose these measures. Measure C is a nonsensical solution in search of a problem with a city council power grab thrown in for good measure. It's especially disturbing to see the suggestion that city council meetings can be so easily dispensed with, given the propensity of the city council majority to pass so many misguided and divisive actions already. Vote no on measures A, B, and C. Thank you. Next speaker. I'd like to remind everyone that it is very easy, convenient, and secure to vote no on Charter Amendment measures A, B, and C. You can vote by mail or by depositing your ballot into a camera-monitored ballot box anytime between February 5th and March 5th and at voting centers throughout Orange County for 11 days up to March 5th. If Measure A passes, it will still be easy to vote for county, state, federal, school board, and special district candidates and ballot measures. But starting in 2026, voting for city officials and measures will become much more difficult and limited. The county registrar of voters will not be changing their procedures to accommodate the fear-mongering of the Huntington Beach City Council. The proponents of these measures are using false claims of voter fraud and disinformation to sow distrust in an election system which has been praised as one of the most secure in the country. They have not told you about the millions of dollars necessary to establish a separate election system and what city services will be cut to pay for them. This amendment would create voter suppression, chaos, and financial instability, not voter integrity. Measure B prohibits the display of flags honoring the accomplishments of historically discriminated segments of society. What is patriotic about bigotry? Measure C grants the appointed mayor authority to cancel meetings, further snuffing out the public's voice. Two-year budgets just allow for less oversight. The proponent's campaign is dishonest, deceitful, and deceptive. Vote no on A, B, and C. Next speaker. In 1999, the federal government first 
proclaimed June as Pride Month. It's been in place for 25 years. Why is this council eager to observe other federally recognized months, but struggles to recognize a population that is oppressed in many ways? I certainly do not want to see Black History Month canceled in HB, but for perspective, there were fewer than 2,500 African American residents in Huntington Beach. And by the most conservative estimate, there are about 16,000 residents that identify as LGBTQ+. Do you think banning the pride flag is going to make those numbers change? Do you think you're going to push those people back into the closet so you can be more comfortable being bigoted? Ballot Measure B is an attempt to codify in the city's constitution that the city will never officially recognize Pride Month nor fly the representational flag. It is stunning that this council will waste hundreds of thousands of dollars to prevent an official observance of a federally recognized Pride Month. What is even more concerning about Measure B is that it would require a unanimous vote of the council to add a flag to the roster of approved flags. There is nothing more un-small-d democratic than requiring a unanimous vote. We all learned back in grade school that it takes a majority to win. It is very authoritarian to win the majority than require unanimity to make any changes you don't like. I urge the residents of Huntington Beach to vote no on Measure B to stop this effort to hide the LGBTQ community that resides here. In fact, it's as easy as ABC, vote no on all three. And I just want to bring to your attention the editorial board just today at the OC Register advised voting no on all three measures, and their editorial concluded with the words, vote no on all three to encourage the council to get back to governing rather than their political theater. Next speaker, go ahead. Yes, uh, uh, mayor, city council, and staff, thank you for all you do. I'm speaking really to the residents because I've already spoke in front of the majority of this council and they don't really listen to what I have to say. Um, you know, it's kind of sad and they don't listen to, in fact, what a lot of people have to say in this city. I'd want to know what's, happening, what's happened to the $12 million surplus the last council left. And in about a little over a year, that money's gone. So I, I think we need to know. I think that transparency seems to be important to the city uh, majority, and I'd like to see you be transparent. We want to know what happened to that money, and what was the deal with the air show people. Nobody seems to know how much we owe them and why we settled on a very specious suit when our former mayor canceled bringing thousands of people down to an oil-spilled beach, beach and exposing them to potentially toxic harm. Now, I think we could have defended that if we had a city attorney that wouldn't cave. Yeah. And, and just know, and just know my, my problem is not personal. None of this should be taken personal. I'm a taxpayer and you're blowing this budget all to heck. We had money, we continue, we're gonna, I, I heard that maybe a sales tax, maybe, maybe the EM, uh, the emergency medical services will cost more when our loved ones get sick or get hurt and they have to be transported to a, a hospital. Maybe it'll cost us several hundred dollars instead of what we have to pay now. So these are serious things for taxpayers out there and we should know that we want our streets done, 
We want our, our roads paved. We want the water system upgraded. We have a lot. We have, want our parks clean. We want a lot of things, but none. Thank you for coming. Next speaker. Hello, 35-year resident, homeowner, and business owner. A friend of mine contacted me recently and asked me to share her story. It's a story about voter ID. My, my friend lives in another state, um, a state that has voter ID, strict voter ID laws. She went in to the polling place, was asked for her ID, provided her ID, but the polling worker told her that the picture didn't look like her and she couldn't vote. And my friend said she was horrified and said, well, don't you see, I'm 5'4", I have green eyes. The reason that maybe my picture doesn't look like it did is because I've been in chemotherapy and radiation. So I want you guys to think about this because this can happen here. You might have grown a beard, shaved a beard, lost your hair, changed your hair color, lost weight, gained weight, had an illness, and maybe your picture doesn't look like it did eight or 10 years ago from the DMV. Is a poll worker gonna have the power to tell you that you can't vote in that polling location? Think about it, because that's where we're at. So I sent this email last night to the city council, <clears throat> and I got five emails from Gracie Vandermark last night until 1.30 in the morning. Um, she called me a gaslighter, a user, an abuser, distasteful, offensive, an exploiter, sickening, privileged, and my personal favorite, and I quote, an elitist. Excuse me, Madam Mayor, but you don't know me. You have no idea of my background or upbringing. I have been working since I was 15 years old. For the mayor of our city to respond in this manner, name calling and five separate late night emails saying I'm an abuser and an elitist, is shockingly unprofessional and immature. You don't know me. The point of my friend's story, the story that she wanted me to tell, is that voter ID Thank you, your time's up. All right. I'll call the next group. Oh, I thought you guys were looking at someone. All right. <laughs> no. uh, last call for Joan Arvizu, Joe Shapiro, Michael C., Robin Ed, E.D., Sue Guilford, Russ Neal, Shami, Laura Sire, Mark Dixon, Tim Geddes, Ina Hunter. Hi, good evening. Rather than speak tonight, I'd like to cede my time for a video for everyone to watch. The new majority voted to spend nearly $500,000 to put these frivolous measures A, B, and C on the March ballot instead of only spending eighty dollars to $100,000 on the November ballot. What are they hiding? Why won't they tell you the cost? The new majority cannot supply a complete itemized cost of taking on HB's local election. 
Staff forecasted $1.2 to $1.6 million with more unknown expenses. It may cost millions of dollars to take over elections. $2 million, $3 million, $4 million. Huge waste of taxpayer dollars. The new majority four plus our city attorney gave a $7 million settlement to a campaign crony in a lawsuit kept secret. Huge waste of taxpayer dollars. We can't afford to pay for an election. It's against California law to require voter ID. We won't even be able to afford to run the elections. How will we afford more lawsuits from the state? Only 15% of voters vote in person. 85% of Californians vote by mail-in ballot. OC Registrar of Voters verifies signatures on all mail-in ballots. There is no election fraud in OC, so why spend millions of dollars on HB elections for 15% of the votes? Those millions of dollars can be better spent. Let's protect what we love about Huntington Beach. for listening. Next speaker. Good evening, Council. Uh, my name is Michael Craigs. I'm a seven-year <coughs> resident of Huntington Beach. I'm here tonight to speak in opposition to all three of the Charter Amendments. Um, I'm going to stick to Measure B just because of the time restriction. Um, Mayor Vandermarkey recently made comments in an interview that said that the people who are opposed to Measure B are the ones that also want to separate and divide us. Um, my feeling is that the ones who, in, for example, want the pride flag flown at City Hall during Pride Month are the ones that want to celebrate diversity and actually bring inclusion together. <clears throat> What brings more separation and what continues to divide us is you not wanting to be part of that celebration. I also think that Measure B, um, it, it uh, circumvents democracy. Um, there's some language in there that states that if um, there wants to be any change to the amendment, that there must be a unanimous vote. Uh, I can't think of anything more un-American or unpatriotic than adding um, a unanimous vote um, into the city charter uh, law. Um, I urge all HB uh, residents that are registered to vote to vote no on A, B, and C. Stop the power grab and please stop wasting our taxpayer money. Thank you. Next speaker. I'm Sue Guilford, president of League of Women Voters of Orange County, representing league members across the county. We oppose Measure A, which will severely restrict voting for municipal elections in Huntington Beach. The League of Women Voters believes that voting is a fundamental right of every citizen that must be guaranteed. Protecting the right to vote of every citizen is part of the League's basic purpose, but we need to do more by making it easier and more convenient for citizens to register, to vote, be informed, and actually vote. We believe that our democracy is stronger when more citizens are well-informed and can vote. That's why League supports the Voters' Choice Act, which enables counties like Orange to make voting more convenient for all voters. 
Despite claims, voter fraud has never been a problem here or elsewhere in this county, state, or country. Like over 80% of voters in this county, I vote by mail, choosing to put my ballot in a secure ballot drop box, which is monitored by camera and has a sophisticated fire suppression system. I also signed up for ballot tracking so that I receive a text message when my ballot is mailed to me and after it is collected from a secure ballot drop box and signature verified. In-person voters now have 11 days to vote at ADA-compliant vote centers. Voters in Huntington Beach will still have those opportunities for all elections except for city offices and measures which will require them to vote under the city's separate system. Does the city have the millions of dollars necessary to create an equally secure and sophisticated election operation when the city budget is <coughs> even now constrained? Please join the League of Women Voters in opposing Measure A. up here objecting. I always have trouble with the mic. You know, by the way. Not ADA compliant. No, not at all. And take a few seconds for me. You know, I'm sitting here. I have no ability to tell when to start the clock and no ability to see when the clock's going to run out. I can't really often see the audience. I, you know, uh, I don't know why the city continues, and they well know of it, to have a non My time? Mayor, we stopped the clock, so you can go ahead and continue, Shami. It's that mic she's using. Oh, is it on? I just don't think she's close enough to the mic. Try, try to get closer to the microphone, like your mouth, or hold it. Can you hold it? Okay. Can you see? That's better. You, okay. You hold. Uh, so. That was my spark. In the very first part of the ballot, the city attorney's impartial analysis, measure A writes, the adoption of this measure may result in additional currently undetermined cost to the city because the city does not currently perform the described election uh, activities. They didn't, he didn't, the city council four didn't bother to listen at all to what the city's election official had to say about their proposals. Robin Steinislaw, who's the city's election officer, identified her concerns in September in a letter which I will quote from. It would be very remiss of me not to share my concerns about the city council's decision to form an ad hoc committee, charter committee, that met behind closed doors to consider their own personal ideas for change to our Constitution. That's me. That's, our, that's not me. That's our elections officer. Uh, 
She also wrote, in my opinion, that the city council does not fully understand that taking action to require voter ID would result in the city conducting municipal elections on its own without the assistance of the county. That's not a bird brain, that's our city elections officer. Yet the council chose to ignore our election officer's opinions. And our opinions, over the last course of meetings, Thank you. Next speaker. is going. So I'm uh, Laura Sire, and I'm very proud of my friend here, uh, Shami, by the way. It's very difficult for her to come down here and speak, and her yay for her son who brought her. Um, <laughs> Chad. Um, anyway, I'm a uh, long time. I've been lived here over like 60 years, and I was a realtor here, and I also... I'm a retired school teacher. I taught first grade. And we said the uh, Pledge of Allegiance every day, of course. And I was, um, I was fine for doing that. I was with a public school. But, uh, and this flag is fine. And we're taking our flag back, by the way. That's why we've been, yeah. yes, right, everybody? <laughs> this is everyone's flag. However, there doesn't have to be just one flag because now things have changed. The world is different. It's very diverse. Um, besides being a retired teacher, etc., and resident of Huntington Beach, I'm the proud mother of a gay son. And it's really nobody's business, but I, it, it's no one's business. I don't know if someone's laughing at that. Um, but I love, I love him, and so my whole family does. He does not live in Huntington Beach. He does not feel comfortable here. He, although he is resilient, he says, well, you know, I've talked to him about it and how we had the flag up, and then it went down when this, this majority took it down. Um, so we had a great celebration at the pier, and we will again. So, he, and he said that. He says, well, now you can just have an even bigger. That's, thank you. Thank you. you. Next speaker. Um, uh, good evening, Mayor and City Council. My name is Tim Geddes, a 40-year resident and longtime civic affairs participant. The set of charter amendments on the March primary ballot is the biggest existential threat to democracy that I have witnessed in all my years of, of striving for good government. Even the Orange County Register, hardly a bastion of liberal wokeness, has come out against these nakedly anti-democratic measures and has urged their defeat. These amendments may sound, may sound complex, but really they are quite simple. They are all reactionary attempts to foist an authoritarian agenda 
on our community that would diminish the rights and freedoms of our citizenry and give more power to an imperious council majority to control our lives with their ideological dictates. Complex, but simple. These measures really are simple. Or to riff on Michael Jackson's lyrics, ABC, simple as one, two, three. Oppose all three to save our community. All, everyone knows Everyone knows all three amendments are deeply flawed. They have been rushed to the ballot without, without adequate analysis, costs, personnel, effort, and impacts. They are wastefully exp expensive and anti-democratic. They would, uh, ABC, it's as easy, it's easy like counting up to three. Oppose all three. That's how easy no can be. Yeah, that's how easy no can be. Thank you. Next speaker. Good evening, I'm Mark Dixon. I'm a 50 year plus resident of this city. I'm employed by the award-winning Orange County Registrar of Voters as a vote center lead. The registrar provided 40 hours of very well-paid classroom and online training before my crew and I started last year. And we saw firsthand that the extreme the extreme accuracy, security, and integrity of the registrar is reflected in the absence of voter fraud in our county, election after election. It's in place. Surf City taxpayers are already paying for it. It's proven that it works and works efficiently. What problem is the council trying to solve? With no idea what the administration of a municipal voting system costs the taxpayers, though estimates go into the millions of dollars per election, with nobody with the experience or expertise to create and operate a local voting system, the same city council majority that got elected by promising not to touch the city charter, launched plans on day one to do just that by introducing three charter amendments. Of the three, creating a local voting system is by far the least necessary and most expensive waste of taxpayer revenue. Tonight, 27 have spoken 27 have said, vote no on A, B, and C, and I'm one of them. Thank you. Next speaker. Good evening. My name is Ina Hunter, and I'm here to talk about the restrictions on the Huntington Beach parking pass. Kind of a change from what we've been talking about. So I want to put a smile on your face. I love Huntington Beach. I've lived here 46 years. As a child, my mom would bring us down here to the beach, and I learned how to swim in the saltwater plunge, which you guys probably weren't even born yet. I also have gone into uh, where the Pier Plaza is. They had the railway station. I've been in there, and where Dukes is. Before that, as, as a kid, I roller skated, I ballroom danced there, I ate at Maxwell's, I ate at Duke's, and of course I've been to the uh, Golden Bear, naturally. I, I remember the beach as being uh, PCH, just strewn with all of these oil derricks, uh, and it was just a little sleepy beach town, but it has changed considerably, some for the good and maybe not for some of the bad. 
Uh, I submitted a petition that I have signatures from Huntington Beach residents that have parking passes. And we're hoping that you'll change your, your stand on the blackout dates. Because we live here, we pay taxes, we shop here, uh, we go to church here, and I feel that the Huntington Beach residents should have some perks over the uh, destination tourists that come here. Oh, thank you, thank you. Maybe they signed my petition, I don't know. <laughs> I, I didn't get as many as I would like. If I was younger and stronger and had time, I probably would have covered all of uh, Huntington Beach and probably would have gotten, oh my gosh. I, well, I, I talked to over 100 people and there were only four or five that wouldn't sign and that's because they just don't sign petitions. So please consider this. Thank you for Thank coming. You. Mm -hmm. Next speaker. Yes, uh, good evening, Mayor Vandermark and council members. My name is Russell Neal and I live in Huntington Beach. I'd like to speak about agenda item six. America is more than just a place. It is a new idea in human history. The idea of personal freedom, limited government, opportunity, and optimism. Prior to America, the historic norm was one of oppressive government and oppressed people. This is still largely the case outside of this great land. Some who wish to take our freedom and return us to an oppressive one-party police state have chosen to promote a relentlessly negative view of America and American history. Their tactic is to demoralize and divide us as a prerequisite to destroying our freedom and placing us under their despotic control. A demoralized people will not fight to retain their heritage, let alone strive for an even better future. I support agenda item six and commend the city's 2024 celebration calendar program as a bold step toward a healthy celebration of the positive things worth remembering of the things that ought to unite us and as a step away from the divisive demoralization project we have endured. May God bless you and strengthen you in this endeavor. And I support this majority and I support all the amendments and you're on target because of the second. Last recall for Robin Ed. The next group, please approach both podiums. Kathy McGuire, Elaine Bauer-Keeley, Catherine Goddard, Cindy, Wendy Rincon, Randall Costello, Neil, Max Ukropina, Gigi Jackson, Britt Hall. Please go ahead. 
Go ahead. Hi, everyone. My name is Cindy. I'm a Huntington Beach resident. I wanted to talk a little bit about what it means when people say your signature is your identification, because really I didn't understand everything that that involves. When you've 85% of Huntington Beach residents vote on a paper ballot, they either drop it off in the drop box or they mail it in. When that ballot reaches the Orange County Voter Registrar, it goes into a locked room and then it is scanned into different kind of like zip code sections. And then a human person checks the identification, the signature on every single one of those envelopes. And how do they do that? They do that by going into their computer system, which includes a list of every single signature you have ever used when you voted in uh, California in Orange County. So let's say you signed a signature 10 years ago and eight years ago and six years ago and et cetera. They can validate your current signature against every single one of those. So if your signature changes over time, they're able to check with that. If they don't have that information, they're able to go into your DMV information and do the same single process. So every single signature is verified against your personal historical signature piece. That's what it means when we say your signature is your identification. It's not just some haphazard uh, method. Lastly, just wanted to say that um, I hope that you'll all vote no on these measures. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. My name is Elaine Bauer-Keeley, a 59-year resident, a former member of the Human Relations Committee, and the daughter of Ralph Bauer, one of the authors of the Declaration of Policy on Human Dignity. My plan is to come once a year and ask each new mayor to please ask your city council to accept and endorse the 1996 Declaration of Policy on Human Dignity. It lives as history in Huntington Beach. It has not disappeared. As you, Mayor Vandermark, we're so honored to have a Latina mayor, and you identify yourself that way, and you have a rich history of culture and language, and you're a model for others. So take up the lead and bring the 1996 Declaration. It does not go beyond the U.S. Constitution. It helps us to see that all people have dignity despite the treatment in the past, and all people deserve our respect. At the last meeting, you gave your support to Holocaust Remembrance Day. In the 1996 Declaration, it asks all of us to know our history nationally, locally, and internationally so that we don't repeat mistakes of the past. It calls out the Holocaust specifically as an example of one of the atrocities that can happen. It is not a statement that places one person above another. It's a recognition of history that has been harsh and horrible and other atrocities have happened like slavery, the Trail of Tears, the Japanese internment, and many other instances that happened when we have forgotten what it means to have human dignity. I think I have to skip parts because I have less time. 1996 was long before terms like woke or ally or identity politics were even in our daily vernacular. As you state, you're the first Latina mayor the path to your legacy was paved by this declaration. As Maya Angelou stated, 
do the best you can until you know better. And when you know better, do better. Thank you. Your time's up. Go ahead. Next speaker. Thank you. Good evening. My name is Kathy McGuire, and I'm a retired high school English teacher. I taught high school English for 32 years at Bell High School in the city of Bell. And when I tell people that I taught in the city of Bell, they say to me, oh, that's the city that had that scandal. And that was 15 years ago. The city of Bell has recovered from that scandal and is on solid footing again, but people still remember that. That's all they know about that city. Once you get a reputation in people's minds, you can't shake it. The, tr the better part of Bell doesn't get publicized. And I fear that the city of Huntington Beach is going down the same path. Once we get a reputation for extremism and intolerance, no matter how we turn it around and how much better we portray ourselves, it will lodge in people's minds. And it will be very hard to get it there. And we will all suffer from that because Huntington Beach is a really wonderful city with wonderful people. So my message to the citizens of Huntington Beach is we can turn this around right now and we can stop this by an overwhelming vote against charter amendments A, B, and C on March 5th. Stop it in its tracks and tell the world that Huntington Beach is an inclusive, loving city. Thank you so very much. Thank you. Next speaker. Hi, my name is Neil. Um, first, I want to say Cutting it down to two minutes when, you know, seems kind of excessive for only 48 speakers. We've had meetings of over 100 speakers where we've had three plus minutes. 48 members is on the high side of average over the past five, six months, but that's still not that large. So really, I think we probably, I guess, need to have clearer guidelines on what time goes to how many people and what actually is a large volume, because I don't know if you've demonstrated, you know, that you can be trusted with making that decision on the fly, because 48 is not that many. Uh, number two. I want to talk about, again, as I always have, about housing and, well, you know, we need to do better on that front. Um, I wanted to note uh, December 21st, um, I believe it was Beverly Hills had an, uh, an injunction against them, or they were enjoined from uh, approving any new residential uh, housing or, you know, residential construction permits that do not include the addition of new units or new bedrooms. So they cannot do any non-bedroom, non-unit remodels because they no, don't have a compliant housing element. Now, that may not come to Huntington Beach in exactly those terms. Obviously, it relies on a court case and so on, but we are in legal fights, and those are the kinds of remedies we're seeing from the courts and from the state. So if we don't you know, get up to date with those requirements, those kinds of things will hit Huntington Beach. And as I've said before, I really don't care if we have high density going up, I would support it. I know most people in this room would not, even those who would agree with me on other, uh, you know, other topics. So I really urge everyone in the room to consider what kind of city you live in, what kind of city you want to live in, what kind of city is coming, and what you can do to make those meet. Because it's not gonna stay exactly as it is today forever, and it's probably not gonna stay exactly as it is for the next, you know, within the next two years. So you really need to get on the ball, otherwise you're gonna lose that local control. Again, look at Beverly Hills, look at San Francisco especially, look across the state, the wave of housing is coming, so if you don't harness that, it will crush you. Thank you. Thank you, next speaker. Mayor Vandermark, Mayor Pro Tem Burns, City Council, uh, thank you very much for having me tonight. My name is Max Ugrupina. I'm speaking to you tonight to support and endorse the amendments on the March 5th ballot. 
Uh, they are all very common sense and make sense. Uh, first, we have the election integrity bill for voter ID. This is extremely popular on both sides of the aisle. And it's not only popular, but right now you have about half the population who doesn't trust the elections. And we need, and I'm glad to see leadership around this that is doing something about it and not complaining, but actually fixing the problem and bringing back voter integrity to the city of Huntington Beach. And I look forward to encouraging further cities across California in following suit. Uh, next, I would like to also support the, the flag amendment, which is also going forward. And right now, as you can see in this room, not having something like this is leaving the door open and dividing our communities. We need flags that have all of us included, and those are our government flags behind you. The American flag, our state flag, our county flag, and the city flag, right? And right now, if we leave that door open, every single year, we're gonna have to come back here and have a debate about what ban banners we're putting up. This is not a house in Sunset Beach trying to decide, should we have a USC flag or a UCLA flag for football season, right? This is not a political football. We should all be under the same banner, and we should be, as discussed in this meeting, there are a lot more important issues than having to talk about this every single year. So I'm really glad that City Council is bringing these forward, and I happily endorse the amendments. Thank you very much. Thank you for coming. My name's Randall Costello. You got two minutes now, huh? <laughs> Look at that, girl. Are you kidding me? You, three minutes, was it? Three minutes? And you wanted two minutes. Brilliant. You are brilliant. Now, I have emailed you. I've come here and spoke to you. I apologize. I get excited. I am I am all in and what's going on. Do you have any idea what's going on? I am so glad you cannot say one word because every time I come here, these people are furious with you and I'm trying to love you. I don't know you, but everything I hear about you is very fishy. Okay, this right here is a Bible from 1942, 41. They gave it to all military men. I don't know, women too, if they were there. Man, this is the word of God. Now I have talked to you about the Masonic Lodge that is like two blocks away. I've emailed you about it. One of you is going on a tour with me of that building. And we're going to find out what kind of church you labeled it, okay? Because I, don't, I can't find out any information at City Hall. Oh, yeah, they want to know if I'm in the circle. The circle. They got some kind of circle. Hey, somebody better answer my email. Thank you, next speaker. Wendy Rencon, 
49-year resident. I'm going to read some quotes from today's Orange County Register's editorial board. Shami, I already recognize the title. And I need to meet his comic political theater by voting no on all three charter amendments. Quote, Vandermark told our editorial board that while there was no evidence of election fraud in Huntington Beach, the measure was justified because it would boost public confidence in local elections. It's a hollow political stunt, merely MAGA virtue signaling. Measure B is a complicated way of stopping the city from flying LGBTQ plus flags, limiting official flag waving to mostly governmental flags, aside from opposing obstacles to, say, flying a sister city or a high school flag. It's just posturing. Council already has a reasonable flag policy. There's no need to enshrine a flag policy in the city charter. Members of the city council are adults who can figure out amongst themselves if and when to fly a particular flag. Measure C includes a poison pill, a rule letting the mayor unilaterally council meetings, which can be misused to reduce public access and limit dissent. Vote no on all three to encourage the council to get back to governing rather than political theater. End quote. Mayor, we're hearing chipping and lipping from that side. Hold on. Run the council meeting professionally, please. On top of that, um, Shami, who is the handicapped woman who has been here for months, each time she tries to struggle with this microphone, can we please focus on an ADA-compliant city council chamber instead of maybe, I don't know, MAGA policies? It's ridiculous. Thank you. You're right. Ooh. Everyone here should be able to speak and not have to hide behind a podium. They should be able to see the monitors. That's just common courtesy. Also, we all, at least most of us, are neighbors and community members here. It'd be nice if we came into this chamber and could show some respect for one another. If I see you in a coffee shop, I don't want to feel icky. And it's vice versa, we're all community members. Unfortunately, it's coming from the city council. You've created this divisive nature. Thank you. Thank you. We have more speakers. Go ahead, next speaker. Good evening, I'm Catherine Goddard. I've been a resident in Huntington Beach since the 1980s. Tonight I want to talk about a couple of things. I've been watching for a year how this council is operated, and we understand that there's a four-person majority. And so we understand also that three people elected by all of us have not been allowed to participate in much of the governance of this council. It's time for this to stop. Perhaps we can do this with a new mayor and a different arrangement of your seating and so on. But we need to be able to have the people speak for us, and the people whom I elected to speak for me are, have not been participating. They have not been put onto committees, and they have not been treated with dignity here on the dais. So I would ask you to pay attention to that as we begin this year. And the second thing is tonight, I notice on your agenda on item 19, you have listed many things that you want to see done with a strategic plan. Almost all of them indicate that the financing has to do with staff time. You have overwhelmed the staff this past year. It looks like it's going to be even more. This, I think, is not the way to run our city. I enjoy working with the staff members in the city offices here. They've been gracious and open, and they're knowledgeable. And it looks to me like not only you're not listening to them when they bring, you, bring forward information that you don't wish to hear, like what the elections might cost, but you need to 
treasure them. We've already lost uh, two city managers and I don't know, five or so city directors in the city. So please pay attention to our employees, our city people who work for us and who answer our questions and respond to us with dignity. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Good evening, Mayor and City Council members. I am Gigi Jackson, a homeowner and resident of Huntington Beach. I'm here as a member of NAACP Orange County and an advocate with Homeless United Huntington Beach. I appreciate you hearing my comments today. I'm here to share that today is the National Day of Racial Healing, which is a time to contemplate our shared values and create the blueprint together for healing from negative effects of racism that do impact each one of us here today. I'm also here to ask that this council reinstate the observance of Black History Month for Huntington Beach. My understanding... <clears throat> My understanding of this off and on again after the majority council voted to remove Black History Month and Women's History Month from the city's calendar is offensive. In order for it to be corrected by council action, it must be, back, be put back on the agenda and voted back in place. February has been nationally recognized as Black History Month since 1976, and it is my hope that Huntington Beach continues this tradition of recognizing too often neglected black excellence. In the spirit of fostering relationships and building community, I invite you to join in the first series of workshops titled Black History is Orange County History, which will start in February and continue monthly. I hope that many of you can join us at this and other opportunities that we are able, all able to continue the work of leaders like Dr. Martin Luther King towards a world where we are all able to heal from the effects of racism and move forward together in true community. Thank you. Next speaker. Good evening. My name is Britt Hall. I went to NAACP Criminal Justice Chair, and I appreciate you allowing me to be here tonight. Um, as we approach Black History Month, that's an annual celebration of achievements by black Americans. And it recognized a role in the US history. So again, like Ms. Gigi, I ask that the city of Huntington Beach continues in this tradition of recognizing black excellence and officially reinstate the observation of Black History Month into the city charter. In the spirits of fostering relationships and building community, I hope that we all are able to continue to work as leaders in a world where we all be able to heal from the effects of racism and move forward together in true community. Thank you. Thank you. All right, this is the last group I'm calling. Um, Deirdre Harris, Mary Kyle, Halona Saduth, Paula Schaefer, Philip Rizzo, Maureen, Amory Hansen, Perry Clitheroe, Shaheem Nassar, Joette, Roger Noor. Thank you for coming. You can go ahead. 
So good evening, Mayor and City Council. My name is Deirdre Harris. I attended Ocean View High School in Huntington Beach some 20 odd years ago, but have moved on to a place that's far more inclusive within Orange County. I am also the president of NAACP Orange County. And I want to stress the, the critical importance of the National Day of Racial Healing, a moment for collective reflection on shared values and collaborative strategies to overcome the detrimental effects of racism. Racial healing involves open dialogue and acknowledging historical wrongs and understanding the impacts of both individuals and systemic racism. I formally request that this council reinstates the observance of Black History Month for Huntington Beach. It is an annual celebration honoring the achievements of Black and African Americans, recognizing our central role in U.S. history. President Ford officially recognized it in 1976, urging the public to seize the opportunity to honor the often neglected accomplishments of Black Americans throughout our history. Understanding that healing from the effects of racism is an ongoing journey. Any time is the perfect time to bring people together to cultivate trust, to build relationships, and to share truths about community. At the NAACP, we are committed to the work of racial equity, and all eyes are on Huntington Beach. We encourage the council to embrace this opportunity to work together for a more inclusive community. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. A comment uh, Councilmember Bolton made several meetings ago regarding voter ID reminded me of the 2018 North Dakota Senate race between the incumbent Democrat Heidi Hetkamp and Republican Kevin Kramer. Kramer won, becoming the first Republican to win that seat since 1958. Kramer won his election primarily through a newly passed North Dakota law that required voter IDs include the voter's street address. Do you know who doesn't have street addresses on their voter IDs? Native Americans living on reservations where the streets have no formal names. Native Americans make up 5% of the population in North Dakota and largely vote Democratic. Prior to the new voter law, prior to the new law, voters could provide proof of residence using a utility, utility bill or some other document that provides proof of residency. The new law, which was, with, which was with upheld by the U.S. Supreme Court just two weeks before the election, suddenly disenfranchised over 39,000 people. North Dakota has prosecuted just one case of voter fraud in decade. According to the Standing Rock Tribal Tribunal, there's never been a case of voter fraud in Sioux County. North Dakota Republicans said the law was vital to protect voter fraud, protect against voter fraud. Kramer said the new law wasn't discriminatory and accused critics of playing identity politics. Does this sound at all familiar? The council majority wants Huntington Beach residents to pay millions of dollars per election when there's been no case of voter fraud. Um, the council majority says critics of voter ID, the voter ID amendment to the city charter are racist. Even when the city council majority has passed ordinance after ordinance to silence and exclude huge portions of HB residents. Voter ID laws are not there to protect the vote or protect against fraud. They're there to protect the people who propose the laws and keep them in power. Voter ID laws are manipulated to suppress the vote as needed and where needed. Are too many young people voting? Don't allow student IDs at the polls. Are too many minorities voting? Change the types of voter IDs allowed, preferably at the last minute. You may think you're all set up to vote, only to show up at the polls and find out the ID you were going to use is no longer accepted. I urge 
all Huntington Beach residents to vote no on the proposed charter amendments. They're not there to protect you. They're there to protect the council member majority and promote their career. Thank you for coming. Next speaker. Hi, uh, my name is Halana Sudduth, and I am a transplant from the Bay Area. I've lived here for about four years. So when I moved here, um, it was not long after that everything that happened to George Floyd happened. And then we had the plague happen, right? But we had all these BLM rallies down here. And I was afraid of getting sick, but I did want to participate in the BLM rallies. And um, so my way of supporting was just by wearing a BLM t-shirt. And um, I was not part of a rally, but I was probably, I don't know, five blocks from the pier. And I was approached by four men that decided to chase me down and yell at me, you end lover, get the hell out of my town. You don't belong here. That was my introduction. Now, it shouldn't matter, but I am half black. So for me to move somewhere and to be met with something like that, and other events have happened too where I've been met with racism because people don't look at me and think, oh, I got to watch what I, what, what I say to her. I guess, I don't know, seeing the name Halana, I'm accepted as being like Hawaiian, which is more acceptable or something like that. So I hear a lot of stuff that people say. And I'm seeing a lot of the actions go on here. Um, I've got, this is my second city council meeting I've been to. The first was with the pride flag. That was a first sign of exclusion when it comes to the city council. And also, um, I came here with, I made these little signs that said black history matters. Because it's our history, it's everybody's history. And I also wanted to say one last thing about, I actually am a special ed teacher too, so this is a little upsetting to see when Shammy doesn't have the Thank you. Thank you for coming. Mayor and City Council members, my name is Paula Schaefer. I'm a Huntington Beach resident and have been for many years. I'll be voting against this ballot measure A, and I'm encouraging all other Huntington Beach residents who are eligible to vote to vote no on measure A. The four city council members who are proponents of this measure state that the reasons are election integrity and security. If these four members were really serious about these issues, they would tour the Orange County Registrar of Voters offices and invite their constituents who are also concerned about election integrity and security. In doing so, you would exhibit leadership and an interest in governing, rather than simply pandering to people's fears and possibly stoking those fears. On this tour, you could learn, along with your doubting constituents, that the Registrar of Voters has multiple ways to ensure ballot security. Also, they would, you'd be able to see that there's multiple procedures in which the Registrar of Voters confirms that the ballot presented is from an eligible voter. Now, there's another tour coming up, so I encourage you to please do this and pass this information along to those people who tell you, oh, I'm afraid, I don't think our balloting is safe. These procedures are true measures of election integrity and security, not asking for photo identification. 
The ballot measures and their arguments should be reviewed by every single person. I urge everyone to review them and compare the arguments and rebuttals. One side's argument is filled with name-calling and inaccurate information that's not even included in the measure. And the other side's argument and rebuttal contains facts regarding the city's ability and financial wherewithal to conduct its own elections, points out the inaccurate statements, addresses the city's criti the critical issue of the cost to the city's taxpayer. I encourage everyone to vote no on Measure A and stop this waste of taxpayer money. <clears throat> Thank you. You can go ahead. Respected mayor and city council members, my name is Shaheen from the Council on American Islamic Relations. As mentioned by others, the day after MLK Day today is our nationally recognized day of racial healing. It seems that this would be an opportune moment to demand Huntington Beach City Council to reinstate the city's observance of Black History Month for 2024. Reinstating Black History Month helps communicate to thousands of our African-American neighbors that their presence in the city is valued and celebrated. An awareness of our historical... <laughs> an awareness of our historical faults allows us to avoid repeating the mistakes of the past. Regrettably, we do not live in a post-racial society. Recognizing these inequities is a path to addressing them, and addressing, them, uh, addressing these inequities strengthens our communities as a whole. I invite you as our city council members to educate yourselves on the history and current experience of anti-blackness in Huntington Beach and the wider Orange County. And very briefly, on the topic of racial uh, equality, I implore you to also consider supporting future resolutions demanding a ceasefire in Gaza. As we speak, <laughs> as we speak, the International Court of Justice is in the process of designating this crisis as an internationally recognized genocide. And I've personally lost family to that genocide. Reinstate Black History Month and demand a ceasefire now. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Thank you. Good evening. My name is Maureen and I'm here on behalf of Groundswell to support on our hate crime prevention um, network partners. Um, they happen to be NAACP, and Groundswell um, also is supporting the Green Foundation. Um, as mentioned by several of our partners, presidential proclamations have been passed for Black History Month since 1986 and since 1996 in um, an emphasis for the annual celebration. This year, the emphasis is African Americans and the arts, spanning the many um, impacts blacks and African Americans have had on visual arts, music, cultural movements, and more. The black African American community continues to be impacted by hate crimes and incidents both um, here in California and in Orange County. Both the California AG and the Orange County Hate Crime Report shows increase in incidents um, against black and African American communities. Um, at least 27% increase overall in the state of California. Um, and 138% increase in Orange County alone. These are staggering numbers for a population that is only at 2% for Orange County. Um, with that being said, a display of art, um, a music festival, a concert, or a cultural fair can be excellent opportunities for us um, to bring communities together in a positive light and inspire, inspire conversations that will transcend barriers. 
um, on this National Day of Racial Healing, we urge the council to consider how you can bring communities together. We at Groundsville are offering a free monthly series of opportunities for community members. Um, you're welcome to visit our website um, to do the Shaping Tomorrow series. Um, and I'll be happy to share the website and, and you can visit that at um, wearegroundsville.org. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Good evening again, city council members. Uh, my name is Phil Brizzo, and I'm here along with my neighbors, uh, former Mayor Kim Carr, in support of items 20 and 21, 2439, and 2446. As we shared last month, we're trying to work with OC SAN on the easement issue where they have demanded removal of all improvements and permanent structures to include those permitted by the city, essentially taking 1,200 square feet from each of our properties uh, with zero consideration or compensation. Uh, I was able to confirm at your request, uh, Mr. Burns, at the OC Tax Assessor's Office, no adjustment has been made to the, uh, the tax assessment for these properties since 1960 to allow for the extremely restrictive nature of this easement, which is to say that for all of us who purchased after 1960, the purchase price, which reflects the fenced-in portion of our property, um, has been the determining factor of our property taxes. So we greatly appreciate any work the City Council can do um, directing Attorney Gates to assist with facilitating conversations to move forward. The challenge today is we've all been offered uh, to sign a compromise. By doing so, we essentially are signing away our property rights, property we paid taxes on and used for the last 20, 30, 40 years and more in some cases. Uh, OC Stan has said that we either sign by February 1st and for the most part they will pay for the demolition and removal of our permitted structures or we can elect to reconfigure our yards in the smaller portion of our property outside the easement to preserve as much of our structures and improvements as possible. Uh, to properly evaluate these two options, we need time, and certainly more than the brief window we were given over the holidays. Uh, so OC Santa stated that no work is planned prior to September 1st of 2024, so we asked the city uh, to request on our behalf an extension of 120 days to June 1st, and that will allow the uh, OC Sand to evaluate options, but it'll also allow the residents of Huntington Beach, who are also voters, to determine what we're gonna do uh, with our property. So um, thank you for that. And uh, I think most of the ones by me will say ditto. So thank you very much. Thank you. Are those the last public speakers? Oh. Avery, go ahead. Thank you, Madam Mayoress. My name is Mr. Amory Hansen. I'm speaking tonight in support of item 20, Councilman Burns' item to find a solution for the residents of Rome Lane's concerns. The residents of Rome Lane's have been put into an awkward position by the needs of the Orange County Sanitation Department. I am truly hopeful a resolution will occur that ensures the ability of the Rome Lane residents to continue to call Huntington Beach their home. Once again, I urge a yes vote on item 20. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Hi, I'm Joette. I need to, uh, to clarify just a few things that I heard that were mistaken. People who were mistaken um, making uh, statements that they really didn't understand. 
I went to the Orange County ROV for the last two elections. The last election, I was there for 11 days straight. I knew of no one else who spent that many days observing at the ROV. I watched as employees in the duplication department duplicated the same ballot over again. Not once, not twice, not three times, but many times. I took down code numbers of those ballots. I witnessed Stephen, the head of the duplication department, copy ballots at one of two copiers located at the back of the duplication department. My complaints went unanswered, no matter how many times I complained. And including the two reports that I gave to the sheriff's department that were never answered. I witnessed a huge trash bin full of ballots sitting in front of what was called the cage. It was there one day, and the next day it had disappeared. I also witnessed shredding trucks, two of them, outside in the front of the ROV during the time that we were supposed to be there looking for ballots. I talked to the people who had the shredding trucks, and they told me they had been there many times, and they had been called by the head of the ROV. Your time is up. Good evening, Council. Thanks for having me. My name is Perry Clitheroe. Uh, I came here, that was quite fortuitous, nice lead-in, because uh, maybe we can talk later. I actually got to spend more than three weeks there in 2018 watching my candidate lose by 125 votes out of 140,000. I saw a registrar of voters that did an incredible job, was super accurate. There are so many audits in place. There are lawyers there. And Joette, if you had a serious concern, you could have hired a lawyer. Um, which is what our council should have done if they have serious issues with the Registrar of Voters here in Orange County, a Registrar of Voters that gets excellent, incredible marks from everybody who's ever looked into it. The authorities at the Registrar of Voters are fantastic. And again, reiterate, it's the job of lawyers to go and settle legal matters. So feel free to file a lawsuit if you don't think they're doing a good job. Um, Obviously, I'm opposed to our charter amendments, as I'm sure you guys could have figured out. A lot of people here have talked about how they've lived here for 50 years. As somebody who's hoping to live here for 50 years, uh, I'm not concerned about these new elections costing a couple of millions of dollars. I'm worried about these elections costing us $100 million or more over the rest of my life. I hope you four are ready for that to be your legacy, because I will not forget it. Um, that's all I really have to say about that. I'd also like to comment on item number six because I don't think our interim city manager slash police chief slash new city historian has enough to do. Um, I'd like to see the Tongva people recognized at some point. Um, I think it's really important. Uh, they were here for thousands of years. We've been here for a little over 100 years. So I think it might be important to mention them, maybe bring up some time in our, our Mexican-American history. Um, I also think Mr. Parr should probably get his own month after. I can only imagine the workload you've been under, uh, the workload you've been enduring since you've taken on these positions, and I appreciate you doing that. So 
thank you all for your time and have a great night. Thank you. Next speaker. I am going to jail because of that man, Eric Farr. My name is Roger Knorr. Huntington Beach City, uh, Huntington Beach City versus Knorr. Because of that man right there, you guys keep on promoting him. This is ridiculous. It's insane. He was trained over at the Los Angeles Sheriff's Department under Tanaka. Tanaka took him over. I mean, he 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 grew with Tanaka. You ask him, he says, I have nothing. He hated me. He collected money for from Tanaka for his fundraiser. The Tanaka, Paul Tanaka was the he was the second large, strongest person next to Baca. It, this is insane. He collected money for him, for him at the casinos. It's in, it is insane. Move the time, please. And, uh, it, you cannot believe this man and what kind of criminal he is. He ran the, the jails while they had seven Mr. different Mr. games. Mr. Knorr, we, we've talked about this. Seven no, different no games. No defamatory and you, statements and you, public yeah, The only reason that you're doing all these, this arguing with the, with the state is so that way you can get publicity before the, the free, free publicity. This is insane. And they want to throw me in jail or whatever because I was trying to defend myself, defend my car, because they did $12,000 worth of damage and they wouldn't do a thing on it. Please, please. Uh, on Noor versus, or Huntington Beach City versus Noor in the, the West Justice Center on Monday. Please show up. You will see how ridiculous this stuff is and vindictive when people are outed. And you're giving them $99 million a year, a year or more now this year. Please look at your, your budget before you do this. $99 million. You know who spends less than $99 million a year? It's Afghanistan. Afghanistan kept us out of their country for over 20 years. Okay, and you're going to wait. How much more are you going to give this guy? I mean, the police, if you can't go to sleep, look up and go outside and look up, and you'll see a bunch of helicopters or drones just flashing, flashing. You call it the police department? Thank you. Your time is up. That concludes public comments, Mayor. Thank you. We are now moving on to council. We're not doing that. We're not doing that. We were, we're not doing that. Okay, moving on to council committee appointments. Council members, do you have any council committee appointment announcements? None? ABC 1234 reporting. Does anyone have anything to report? Openness and negotiations. Disclosures. Does anyone have anything to disclose? City manager's report. Please introduce your report. So I have one, uh, one issue to go over before the formal report, and that is a... Uh, I just received recently the um, Homeless Task Force uh, overview for last year, and I'd like to just go over a little bit of that with, uh, with you. Homeless Task Force officers uh, facilitated 180 formal business outreach meetings. They handled 570 MyHB complaints, and for those of you that aren't aware of MyHB, it's our app for the city of Huntington Beach, and I, I urge anybody to uh, download that app. It has lots of good information, and it works very well for reporting issues such as homelessness and other issues. Uh, they tagged 117 sites for unlawful storage of public uh, property in public. They coordinated significant cleanups at, at various locations throughout the city. 
They made 124 referrals to the Huntington Beach Navigation Center and 21 referrals to regional shelters. They participated in numerous collaborative meetings. They took enforcement actions 1,005 times last year, and they led efforts to cooperatively address issues occurring along jurisdictional boundaries with our neighboring cities. Uh, I uh, just wanted to get that on the record, and I think at some point I would uh, bring them back for uh, potential recognition formally. And uh, moving on from that, we have the uh, proposal for the uh, 2024 Celebration Calendar Program, and that will be uh, presented by Jennifer Carey. Good evening, Mayor and City Council. I am here today to go over the uh, presentation proposing the 2024 Celebration and Acknowledgement Calendar and uh, the proposed approval process. On December 19th, City Council approved the following development of development of a city celebration calendar and approved the themes for the 2024 celebration calendar. They approved the development of a seven to nine resident committee and they asked that staff return within 60 days with a future calendar approval process. So given that the City Council approved the 2024 monthly celebration themes, the themes were already set for 2024, but based on the existing uh, honors and acknowledgements that the City already highlighted across the board, City staff worked together to develop secondary acknowledgements based upon the following initial criteria, federal holidays and national laws, significant City events or milestones such as the City's birthday or anniversaries, Acknowledgements that highlight public health and safety messages, so those coming from the police department and fire department predominantly, and city appreciation events, and an example of that would be National Police Week. So going through the various months, first being January, the celebration for January was set by City Council as Founders Legacy, celebrating Huntington Beach's origins, and acknowledgements, as you can see here, for the month um, would also include home fire escape plan, community and library services, 75th anniversary, New Year's Day, National Law Enforcement Appreciation Day, Martin Luther King Jr. Day, and International Holocaust Remembrance Day. So the overarching celebration theme is what will be celebrated throughout the entire month. And the ways that we do that would be various things, working together with other departments to organize programming and events. Um, the Office of Communications is also developing city video content that will be pushed out throughout the entire month on HBTV, our city's YouTube page, and social media. We'll also be making use of the city's website and Surf City Break to publish articles that have to do with the celebra celebratory theme. And we're also pushing out additional social media messaging that have to do with that overarching celebration. For February, the celebratory theme was We Love Our Libraries. And then additionally, for acknowledgements, we have Black History, Heart Health, National School Resource Officer Appreciation, Huntington Beach's birthday, President's Day, and the anniversary of Officer Nicholas Vela's line of duty death. For March, the celebratory theme is California's history before statehood to now and what it means to be a charter city. With acknowledgements, we will be acknowledging Women's History, Read Across America Day, and City Hall's 50th anniversary. April, 
celebratory theme is rails and waves, tracing the history of Huntington Beach's railroad. Acknowledgements throughout the month will be national distracted driving, earthquake preparedness, autism awareness, Edison Park Community Center's 50th anniversary, Public Safety Telecommunicators Week, National Volunteer Week, Earth Day, National Library Week, and National Arbor Day. May, the overarching celebratory theme will be the Bill of Rights, learning and highlighting the first 10 amendments to the Constitution. And there's a wide variety of acknowledgements that will take place throughout that month as well. June celebratory theme will be History of Independence Day and what it means. And acknowledgements that will take place during that month will be items such as National Safety, Flag Day, Father's Day, Juneteenth, PTSD Awareness Day, and Alzheimer's Awareness. For July, the overarching celebratory theme will be Surf City Showcase, where we will be celebrating surf heritage. Acknowledgements will include Parks Make Life Better, Independence Day, and National Hire a Veteran Day. August will be uh, the overarching theme, the Revolutionary and Civil War, how America won its freedom and how the Civil War led to freedom of the slaves. Acknowledgements being National Night Out, Book Lovers Day, and Senior Citizens Day. And for September, we will be celebrating aviation, a focus on the city's aviation history. And acknowledgements will include Hispanic Heritage, Disaster Preparedness, Labor Day, Patriot Day, Pedestrian Safety, and others. October, history of our military services will be the celebratory theme, and acknowledgements will include national disability employment awareness, breast cancer awareness, uh, fire prevention, Columbus Day, Red Ribbon Week, amongst others. November celebratory theme will be Black Gold Jubilee, honoring the discovery of oil, and Additional acknowledgements that, that will take place throughout that month will be National Pancreatic Cancer Awareness, Veterans Day, Thanksgiving, Small Business Saturday, Native American Heritage. And finally, December. The overarching celebratory theme will be appreciating Huntington Beach's ecological legacy, and acknowledgements to take place will be the anniversary of Officer Prince's line of duty death, Pearl Harbor Remembrance Day, National Drive Sober or Get Pulled Over, and Christmas Day. With regards to the proposed future approval process, staff recommends the following. Um, all acknowledgements, honors, dates, celebrations, anything that comes in, the Office of Communications will be tracking all of those dates. And then the city count, or the Office of Communication will then provide those dates to the established committee um, that will be made up of those seven to nine residents. Those seven to nine residents as that committee will make recommendations, and then they will provide those recommendations to the city council liaisons, council member McKeon and council member Strickland. And then council member McKeon and council member Strickland would be the approvers of those recommendations or deny or approve those items to be added to future calendars or the 2024 calendar. Um, the committee, the celebration committee, we're in the process right now of getting the application updated and the plan is for the application for that committee to be live next week on our website. And then in or in to promote that committee, um, my office will be pushing out information on social media, providing information and where people can go to apply if they want to be part of that committee. Questions?
Do any council members have any questions? Who would like to go first? Um, council member Kalmick. Thank you. Uh, so um, I appreciate staff bringing this back. Um, the presentation, I think, is uh, what it would have been helpful, I think, in stage one earlier on that would have, I think, helped to avoid a lot of the conversation we had last meeting. Um, I have a lot of questions still. Um, I was really surprised um, after our council meeting last time uh, to see a press release coming out that basically said, no, just kidding, we're going to celebrate the months that were explicitly stated by council members, no, we're not going to celebrate those months, um, to the point where I appreciate that staff uh, and maybe other council members behind the scenes, I don't know, that's um, didn't heard from folks potentially in the press and decided, well, maybe actually we should celebrate those. I don't know what happened, but we put a press release out saying we're going to do this, uh, which again, I'm fine with. I'm glad that we reinstituted uh, at least some of those months. I would have preferred to have the rest of the months that um, the state of California and, and other places across the country recognize regularly. Uh, I don't know how that process occurred um, or why it occurred, but in order for those to be celebrated again, um, like the press release stated, this council would have to vote to reinstitute, reinstitute those. Um, the rubric by which we decided some of these, I'm guessing staff came up with, but we're missing several holidays uh, and, and remembrances and celebrations that have uh, either been celebrated in Huntington Beach, in California, and the rest of the country for many, many years. Uh, and we're celebrating things that haven't been celebrated in California since 2009, namely Columbus Day, uh, which is grossly offensive to see that um, as something we were going to celebrate again and rather than Indigenous Peoples Day. Christopher Columbus is not someone to be held up um, uh, in esteem and to celebrate that in this city when California has not recognized Columbus Day since 2009 uh, is appalling. Um, Cesar Chavez Day is missing. Uh, Rocking, Rock and Fig Day is missing from this as is California Surfing Day uh, is missing from these celebrations as well. So the rubric that we're just going to take national events and not recognize anything that the state of California and actually the city uh, has recognized on days um, is somewhat confusing. Um, and so I don't know where the rubric came from for this. I still don't know who the audience is for this. I saw the first video that was produced. Um, uh, there were some notes, uh, I think, on, on that. But um, obviously, we had six days to put that together. And so I do um, applaud staff for putting something together that quickly to talk about Founders Day. Um, Additionally, getting into the authority piece, um, council liaisons, it, staff is recommending that council liaisons make ultimate decisions on approving public policy. I don't know wonder what charter authority uh, that can actually happen where the city council can delegate final authority for something that the city is going to work or directing staff to do something to two council members with no council oversight, like a little bit more visibility into that. Also, I had no idea who was appointed to this until I just heard it right now publicly that there's been people appointed to as liaisons, although the committee hasn't been created yet officially and there's no resolution that actually defines the committee, the terms, who sits on it. So I don't know how we have liaisons already appointed to a committee that hasn't necessarily been formally established and its bylaws haven't been created. So I'd like some clarity on that as well. Um, overall, I'm just really disappointed in this entire process. I think, you know, I, I am fine with the idea that the city is going to have these um, themes for this. I think the ad item should have been very vague and let staff and directed some, some council members to go work on something and then bring back a more finished product uh, with input and maybe some input from the public before uh, we ended up with a kind of 
calendar of events that seem to miss quite a few things and is still highly offensive, and all of this apparently just to not celebrate Pride Month uh, in June. Um, it's, it's, it seems like just a really lot, a lot of work just to not do that. Um, and it would have just been easier just to rip the Band-Aid off and say, well, we're just, this city no longer wants to celebrate this. Same thing with, the, with, with our flag policy, um, to do all this extra work um, to create a history curriculum that I think most people are aware of. I was actually, um, I, we may actually need it because I was surprised we received an email from someone that didn't know that the city of Huntington Beach was named after Henry Huntington. So maybe we need to actually do some of this extra work. But um, again, just this just seems to be uh, kind of an exercise in... Um, uh, as kind of a smokescreen to, to get around doing the actual work that we need to do in this city, um, which I think are coming up later on in the agenda. So um, those are all the questions that I really have for this, and I think we're going to need some answers for those to move forward. If not, I think we're going to run afoul of um, certain conditions, and I think some of them are obviously questions for the city attorney. But, um, yeah, I just, I, I, there needs to be some more, I think, uh, meat on this bone to really understand what this committee is and what it's going to do and who's going to be empowered to set policy for, because this is public policy, this isn't just setting themes and events, this is setting the public policy and the views of the, the holidays, because holidays, the root of that is Holy Day, uh, are days that are celebrated uh, within this community, and that's a public policy discussion that I don't think should be delegated to two council members. Um, I would say that if we were going to set those types of dates, that the liaisons bring forward a quarterly update or a monthly update of events we're going to celebrate and let the whole council vote on that. I think that's the only actual legal way to do it, but I'm not a lawyer. I'd like somebody to uh, give more input on how that actually stands up. So that's all I have for right now. Council Member Moser. Okay, well, I only have one question, which is, um, it looks to me like staff is making a recommendation that goes beyond what was directed on the 19th. So my question is, why has staff added what are described as secondary acknowledgments? So ultimately, um, in developing the celebratory theme for the calendar, we wanted to be cohesive in the message that's happening across the city. So it was part of the process with regards to this item and what we heard was that we wanted a more collaborative and cohesive approach across, city, across the city, across all departments. So the idea is that by establishing this calendar that identifies the overarching celebratory theme as well as the acknowledgements, all city departments can get on the same page to understand what we are celebrating for that month and what we are acknowledging within the month. And then there wouldn't be any sort of confusion as to what would be um, celebrated, how we'd be celebrating it, and what would be popping up on social media or other things of that nature. So by doing this, we were hoping to clear up a little bit of the misconceptions that happened out the gate um, and provide something that's maybe a little bit more transparent so that everyone in the community can see all of these items. So I appreciate um, your response and uh, this is not a criticism of staff, but there's a hell of a lot of confusion, a lot. Because I heard, just like everybody else did, who was listening on the 19th, that we were not going to be acknowledging, not as a city, Women's History Month and Black History Month specifically. And so if something has changed, if council members have changed 
their view. I would like to hear from those council members about what their view is and what's changed. And if staff can't do that, I appreciate all of the work that you've done, and I frankly don't know how you managed to cram all that into just a few days. But I think the public is entitled to understand what it is that we're doing here, because it sure as hell doesn't make any sense to me. Can I ask who said that? Who said that we weren't going to acknowledge those two? Specifically. I believe, I, I believe specifically. the quote was, uh, what did you say, Mr. Kalamick? So we're not celebrating black history. I have all the quotes. Just not in Huntington Beach. Okay, go ahead. You have all the quotes. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Go ahead, Councilmember Moser. Thank you. Um, so these were some of the quotes from the last meeting. Councilmember Kalamick said, so we're not going to celebrate Black History Month in February anymore. Councilmember McKean replied, none of this precludes that from happening the next year. Councilmember Kalmick said, so next year, so February of next year, we're not going to celebrate Black History Month if this passes. Councilmember McKeon said, it doesn't preclude it from happening the next year. You're overcomplicating it. Councilmember Kalmick, Councilmember Kalmick said, I am overcomplicating it because you can't simply overlook Black History Month, Women's History Month, that are celebrated at the federal level. I later said, I wanted to clarify if there was an ability to continue to celebrate National Heritage Months if you want to move forward, and there was no response. And then I said, I don't know why it can't be a this and. My real concern is for that we want to expand and organize, actually this was Councilmember McCann, I think. No, mine. My real concern is for what we want to expand and organize, you are taking away the focus on groups that have been marginalized throughout history and who have these federal months and holidays like Juneteenth. It really concerns me that we're looking to exclude those things. Councilmember Bolton then said, why can't we do a both and, and why does it have to be an either or? Why does it have to be either the proposed calendar or the existing commemorations? Why do we have to eliminate the celebration of Women's History Month in 2024? Councilmember McKeon responded, this doesn't preclude that from happening in future years. The committee will look at it. I like the way it's written in 2024. Councilmember Bolton said, so those things were left out. Those are celebrations that I think most people are aware of. Most people are aware of Women's History Month. Most people are aware that June is Pride Month to, at this point. The fact that these are being left out of this proposal sends a message to the community. Then she said, I would offer a friendly amendment then that we have this list that's been proposed in addition to the commemorative months that the city already has on the books. Councilmember McKeon said, I won't support that because I like the way it's written. Then Count Pat then later went on to say Councilmember Burns, or excuse me, Mayor Pro Tem, and those months are celebrated every place else. Councilmember Bolton then said, in the place of the answer to the question to why we can't celebrate both of those things at the same time, I can't support the item. Count Mayor Pro Tem Burns later said, it is being celebrated, just not by, it is in Huntington Beach, just outside our library and every place else. So I think it's pretty clear, though it was said that there were misconceptions and that what people heard was maybe confusing, I think it was very, very clear in a very long deliberation that the council majority was not interested in making any changes and including these commemorative months. I appreciate that staff was put in a very difficult position because I think that the staff, I was looking at our code of ethics, it says on honesty, I am honest with all elected officials, staff, commission members, boards, the public, and others. It also says I am prepared to make decisions when necessary for the public's best interests, whether those decisions are popular or not. I take responsibility for my actions, even when it's uncomfortable to do so. I think the challenge here is that 
what happened that night, I was really disappointed by. I think that all of these months should be celebrated, and it's fine that we also celebrate our, our local history. But it was specifically said very clearly by this council and in the minutes that we were not celebrating those months. So I believe that staff then went and tried to protect the city, number one, because we got very bad publicity as a result of this, and two, because it's just the wrong thing to do to exclude these months. All of that being said, the proper next step then, should council have changed their mind, and I don't know that anyone has, would have been to come back either with a special meeting before that press release went out to make that change in decision, or to come tonight and say, as a council member item or an administrative item and not as a city manager report, that a different way forward was asked for. And instead, we have a city manager's report with a ton of work done by staff, which I truly appreciate, but frankly, it's been done without the source of authority to do so. Because when the council makes a decision, it's governing, that's a policy decision. Staff cannot go out and change that decision. What if it was about something else? What if it was about leaving the power authority? And staff decided, well, I don't think we should do that, so we're gonna say things went a little bit differently. That just doesn't work. And so I definitely would love for all of us to be able to celebrate all of these months, but I think that transparency, the source of authority, procedure is all very important if we're going to be honest with the public. And I appreciate that staff went forward and submitted that press release, did all of this work, but the reality is we're not protecting the community, we're not being inclusive, when we change the decisions that were made on this dais, and I haven't heard one council member yet change their mind. I would like to hear that, but I haven't. And one other thing, this is, there's no staff report with this. There's no action items. Um, I don't think that this was presented appropriately. Um, in the past, we've never voted or taken action on a city manager's report. And that's procedural. We can, I, I understand that uh, City Attorney Gates has said it's fine, but I think that you know, in our um, council manual that we're currently looking at, it actually says specifically that it's not a place where action can be taken. And I know that hasn't been approved yet, but I think it was said there for very important reasons. So I think we really wanna think about how we do our city's business, that it's transparent, that it's fair, and that it's inclusive, but that we are honest about what is happening on this dais, and that we don't sugarcoat it. If people want to change it, then they can do so at the polls. But in this moment, I don't even know what, are we voting? I don't, I don't know what the action is, and I would really love to hear from Councilmember McKeon, since he was one of the main people that spoke previously, if that is of the mayor's will. What was your question? <laughs> Well, given that I read out that you were not comfortable with changing your motion previously with your item, right. and you, it was specifically offered to you to add Black History Month and Women's History Month, and you chose not to, how do you think, well, number one, would you like to add those? And why didn't you say that you would before? Sure. And then I might have some more. Okay. 
yeah, well, I think it's pretty clear what we talked about. We have 12 overarching celebratory themes of the month, which is what you're looking at here. That's exactly what we talked about. Now, within those months, we are acknowledging Black History in February, heart health, etc. But those aren't the overarching celebratory themes of the month, and that's exactly what I said. So I said nothing precludes that from happening in future years. 2025. Sure, of being the overarching celebratory theme of the month, but in 24, it's not. In February, it's We Love Our Libraries. January is Founders Legacy, but within those months, we have acknowledgments, federal, you know, citywide uh, traditions that we had in the city. That's exactly what we talked about. Now, instead of you guys working with us to, to maybe fine-tune that, you ran to the press immediately. You talked about protecting the city. The press you're, called you're, us. You're so, you're so eager. You're they so, called us. You're so eager to tear us down up here, and you don't care if it tears down the city. And so the city issues a press release. This is exactly what we talked about. I've got so much positive feedback from people just on Founders Legacy. As Councilmember McCallum mentioned, they didn't know Henry Huntington was what the city was named after. The one that went out today with the first city council that we have in our, in our deliberation chambers back there is amazing, the amazing history about that. This is a, a, a great project, in my opinion, that's gonna have a positive impact, and you guys just can't help but tear it down, but that's exactly what we talked about. These are the 12 overarching celebratory themes of the month. And next year for 25, if the committee wants to change those things, they want to change a certain month to one of the ones that you guys talked about, they can do that. But for this year, these are the 12 overarching celebratory themes of the month. I thought it was pretty clear. I think it wasn't pretty clear. It was pretty clear because I just reread everything that you're gaslighting the community right now. You can't keep on insulting other. This uh, is not insulting it. You can't it. keep he, doing that. It's a and lie. And then read off the uh, code of ethics and stuff. You're so out of line on so many of the things you guys present. It is inappropriate. It what? is just disgusting. Mayor, Mayor, That's Mayor, through the chair, um, I recommend that we make our comments. Uh, this is not a DA asking questions of different members. Each member has their opportunity to answer their questions if they feel like they need to. But we need to be more deliberative in our, in, our, in our body. Instead of attacking each other, let's make our point and move forward. What does move forward look like? Because we don't even have an action item. And one person, please speak at a time. I, I, believe, no I believe the city manager other. has a report uh, that was presented by staff uh, to move forward uh, on this report. That, that, by the way, that is pretty clear. And that is uh, an authority. The city manager, from the last time I checked, is an authority of the city council and the city of uh, Huntington Beach. Madam Mayor. Madam Mayor. Yes, Councilmember Kalmick. So um, there is no action item or recommended staff item like normally on other items. So it's unclear as to what staff is asking other than input. Um, there's no recommended motion um, along those lines. Um, we have to then figure out a communications protocol then because I asked you multiple times, Councilmember McKeon, to clarify that we weren't going to be celebrating this. The easy solution, and again, the way that I understood this, would have been for you to say exactly what you just said, which was the overarching themes are there, but of course we're still going to celebrate it at a, at a smaller level, but we're still going to acknowledge it. Give everyone ample opportunity to say that. That's the confusion. If you felt that was clear, I wanted to make it clear that I didn't understand that. Um, okay. I generally am good at understanding things. Uh, and that was just very unclear. And the fact that we, we asked, and I think multiple people asked multiple different ways, um, to try to get this to be clarified that, of course, we were still going to celebrate these things. We're still missing quite a few things, and it seems like a lot of work and guidance to staff has been done outside of this chamber, which, again, is 
um, somewhat disconcerting, but also I think leaves staff open to um, to interpret. It leaves staff open to potential questions, and it leaves the city open to questions of what's going on at the city. Because again, um, I sent an email to staff asking why is Columbus Day being celebrated? Why is Rock and Fig Day being celebrated? Why is California Surfing Day being celebrated? And I received a response. Thank you for your information, and I will run that by the council liaisons, who I did not know existed uh, or had any delegated authority based on the, la the uh, agenda item presented in, um, in uh, December 19th. So that's where my confusion goes through. But again, like to see that press release go out, no one ran to the press. I received phone calls from press asking, because we asked specifically, and it seemed the press were also confused, I mean, the KTLA report that I saw was very confused. No one was clear as to what exactly was happening because they watched the meeting and then they saw the press release and people used critical thinking to put them, something together and it was incongruous. So um, we need to be better at answering people's questions when um, folks are asking clarifying questions because other people are watching this and they also have similar questions that we have. So when we walked away from that meeting, Many of us felt that we weren't gonna be celebrating Black History Month anymore. And to see it show up again, that was the confusing part. And for you to say, well, of course we are. Uh, two things can't be true at the same time. And so if it's something where you'd uh, like to say that yes, we are going to be acknowledging that, which it seems like the staff report is, but again, there's three or four other examples of things that are in this that are, that are either missing or things that were days that have previous councils have supported um, uh, that are also missing, and in addition to the fact that we're just, we started from national and we're gonna ignore all of their state holidays, um, I think also seems um, troubling. Okay, anybody so, else? Yes, one final comment. So fundamentally, I think that we should not be doing this. This is not the work of a you know, legislative governing body of a city. Um, and so I'm not even sure, I don't, no matter what we decide to support, uh, celebrate or not celebrate, I'm not even sure I'm gonna be able to support this because this is not, you know, we should just, if somebody wants to create a calendar, that's great, delegate it to a committee or staff or what have you, but I don't know how much time we've spent talking about this, how much time we spent talking about it on the 19th. There's just other stuff that we need to be doing. Okay, so, so on that point, I'll move the previous question and uh, let's move what's on to the agenda. What's the question? We're moving on to the next item. If move anybody else has item. anything to say, then we move on I, to the next item. I believe the city item. manager and the staff have presented the report. Uh, there's liaisons to this. There's no confusion. Now, I mean, you see the whole months right in front of you. And so uh, I recommend we move down the agenda. Okay. Council member had one more comment. Thank you. Um, when this item came up, I specifically asked of the city manager that there would be an action item that we could vote on to either correct this or proceed in some way. Um, I was told that it could be in this location on the city manager item, uh, a city manager report, um, and that we would still be able to vote. Again, there are no specific actions for us to vote on. Um, Yes or no, I don't know that we can proceed. And that is what I asked for. And there are no action items. OK, 
Okay. Are we so, done discussing so we can move forward? I, I believe that's a city attorney issue, correct? Yeah, well, I mean, at this point, look, a lot of this is political debate and discussion. And I know a lot of people want to say, well, the law, the rules. Here's the rule on this. The city, it's listed as a city manager's report because that's what the H item was in December. It was a callback that the city manager bring back a report and it was to be done within 60 days, which it's being done. Once it was placed on the city manager's, as a city manager's report, I did receive questions about, well, what if council members want to provide feedback and maybe, 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 maybe change direction that was presented. And that's when I went in and massaged the language so that it was Brownack compliant, so that it was according to the law, right? That's my job. And this, as a city manager's report, follows the H item. So council can be upset that, hey, you know, it seems like it were, you know, this is out of control and it's not within our control. Actually, it literally followed council's direction in December and we're literally brown not compliant with this item. Now, if you, council, want to bring a motion to throw the whole thing away or change it or now suddenly from the dais change the months or whatever you want. If someone wants to bring a motion and there's a second you want to vote on it, you're welcome to. Why? Because it's properly agendized. So it's, it was done properly. It can be done this way. It could be done this way in the future. It's completely state law compliant. So what you just said, uh, Mr. City Attorney, is that staff should, the agenda minutes say that we voted on earlier, or we will vote on later, is that staff should return with a procedure for determining approval of any new day and week programs. That's what the return item was, the, the return code, and that's what staff's last slide is. Council would need to approve that policy, right? Staff can't just, they, the council direction was to have staff come back with the policy. We would need to approve said policy. Staff can't just make that up, right? Well, they're, they're, they're presenting the policy based on the council action in December. And if you guys want to make a change, you can make a change. But no, you know, you're insinuating you want something done differently, make a motion. No, no, I'm saying that we generally, when we request staff to bring something back, council then votes on what staff brings back. Well, if, if, if there's an idea like we want a massage parlor ordinance, right? and then staff has to go off and do a bunch of work and come back with specifics, and that's a proposal, then yes. But in a case like this, it didn't, it didn't rise to that level. It didn't seem like it. We have no policy for, uh, the current policy for implementing a celebration of a day or a week is somebody brings a council member item forward and, and we celebrate it, or it's a state or federal thing and the mayor just proclaims it. So what was presented tonight mm -hmm. was consistent with the direction from the December council meeting. Right, but it's to bring back a policy that has, does not exist yet. Staff can't create a policy that would, the city would follow that did not exist that council has not given Look, them direction I, to do. I, again. I'm I just was, asking you I the procedure I wasn't even involved in these conversations. So I, it's my understanding that this is the approach that's being presented tonight based on the December uh, direction. If you don't like it and you want to make a motion to do something different, by all means, you can. It won't, it'll be Brownack compliant because this is the topic and you can make a motion based on what's been agendized. So if you want them to bring back a different policy, make the motion. This council still has to approve the policy and approve the so, calendar. Uh, city Attorney, That's what, uh, can I move that we uh, adopt the city manager's report and acknowledge the city manager's report? You want to make a motion to receive and file? Yeah, I want to receive and file the city manager's report. I move Second. that we do that. 
Let's vote. Call the vote. Councilmember Mosier. No. Bolton. No. Burns. Aye. Vandermark. Yes. Strickland. Aye. McKeon. Yes. Kalmick. No. The motion passes 4-3. Thank you. Moving on to the city attorney's report. Please introduce your report. Uh, thank you, Mayor. Um, so just two quick updates on, on two lawsuits uh, that I think are a matter of uh, public interest. Um, so on the first one is the Department of Finance case. As you may recall, that was the city that sued the state Department of Finance to get reimbursed uh, for old redevelopment loans. Um, and as the city, as many know, the city prevailed in its lawsuit, City of Huntington Beach versus State of California Department of Finance. The lawsuit was filed in 2018 with the first court ruling in 2022. In that first round, the court ruled that the City of Huntington Beach was entitled to reimbursement from the State of California for an old redevelopment loan known as the Emerald Cove loan. It was anticipated to be a $5.2 million reimbursement, but after interest, the state paid the city, or is in the process of paying the city, $6.8 million on that loan. In 2023, the court ruled a second time in the same lawsuit that the city of Huntington Beach was entitled to reimbursement from the state of California for a loan known as the Waterfront Loan. It was anticipated that the, 20, that the 22.4 million loan plus interest may equal about $25 million in total reimbursements coming back to the city of Huntington Beach. We attended the County Oversight Board meeting this morning where the board took action approving the waterfront loan payment reimbursement pursuant to the court's order in the amount of $30,464,000. Accordingly, the city will now be submitting for payments for reimbursement in the amounts of $30,464,000. So that's just an update on one case. Um, on the next case is, um, that is the city of Huntington Beach versus state of California over the arena mandates challenge. Again, as, as many know, the federal district court dismissed the city's federal lawsuit challenging the constitutionality of the state's arena laws and arena mandates. The federal court concluded that the city plaintiffs lacked standing to maintain a lawsuit in federal court. However, the federal court relied on a prior case that involved only a general law city and not a charter city, which is an important distinction. As such, on January 11th, last week, we filed an appeal brief with the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals requesting the lower court's ruling be reversed and the city's case challenging the arena mandates in federal court be reinstated. <coughs> the reason set forth, among others, is that as a charter city with individual plaintiffs, then Mayor Strickland, then Mayor Pro Tem Vandermark too, all have standing to seek redress in federal court for violations of their constitutional rights. When a hearing on this appeal is set, we will let everybody know the date, time, and location. Until then, we will continue to keep you apprised of events as they occur in this case. Thank you. That's it. Thank you. I just have a couple of questions. Um, when is the state's brief due uh, in the Ninth Circuit case? The state's State, brief yeah, is due, response to ours. I believe it's March 1st. Okay. And that's the state's opposition to mm -hmm. the city's appeal. 
Yeah, okay. And I appreciate all the work that's been done. I did read the brief. Um, I have to say that I continue to um, have the same opinion that I had before, which is I don't think this is the best use of city resources. Um, but again, I do appreciate all the work that's being done by the staff in the city attorney's office. On the other case, um, do we have a copy of what the um, county oversight board did, a copy of their action or anything like that? I can't remember if we got anything earlier this afternoon. Um, I can send a copy of their staff report, their agenda. Yeah, I can send you those okay. materials. I'd appreciate that. For Thank sure. you. Yep. Mm -hmm. Anybody else? Okay, moving on to the consent calendar uh, for items 9 through 18. Um, Council, would anyone like to pull an item? Can I pull 10 and 11? Okay. I'll move the balance. Second. Okay, please call the vote for the balance. Okay, for consent items 9, 12 through 18, Councilmember Mosier. Aye. Councilmember Bolton. Aye. Burns. Aye. Vandermark. Yes. Strickland. Aye. McKeon. Yes. Kalmick. Aye. And I'd also like to mention um, item 9 was amended by supplemental communication, the minutes, a revision to the minutes. Thank you. Um, Council Member McKeon. Thank you, Mayor. Yeah, just for number 10 um, with the contracts and consultants. I've been talking about the overuse of consultants since the day I was elected, and I pulled this item just to bring attention to this to see where we can eliminate the use of consultants. I know some are required by law, but surely our staff can perform, I mean, some of these other functions. And I was just looking through the first three quarters reported. I mean, for Q1 of 23 alone, we spent 610000 for Q2, 621,000, and for Q3, 1.1 million. And City Manager Parra, I know you and I have spoken about this and we're aligned on this topic, so just please let me know, you know what I can do to help you with this endeavor to, to limit the use of consultants wherever you can. That's all. Would you like to move the item? Please. Second. Okay. Council Member Mosier. Aye. Bolton. Aye. Burns. Aye. Vandermark. Yes. Strickland. Aye. McKeon. Yes. Kalmick. Hi. Item passes 7 0. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Councilmember McKeon. Yeah, just for the Code of Ethics, um, just reviewing the document, I'd like to make a motion under the fairness section of the Code of Ethics to change the word equity to equality and then adopt as amended. I'll second. Can we hold on for a second? Um, give us a chance to review the context by which that, where is it? It is under, under the fairness section. It's under Exhibit A, and it's under Fairness on the first page. Oh, Exhibit A. Can you define equity versus equality for me, Councilmember McKeon? Yeah, I believe the word equity is often misused. Um, and in this context, I believe it means the guarantee of the same outcome, which is impossible. So I think what we're trying to say here is equality. So that's why I want to amend that word to equality instead of equity. So actually, my understanding is just the opposite. So equality is literal, everybody having the same thing, whereas equity is, you know, not necessarily having the same thing, maybe potentially doing something different, but you do that so that everybody, up, um, the rising tide lifts all boats. That's the phrase. Um, so my understanding is the complete opposite. We need a dictionary. Well, it says here we promote equity. What we really promote is equality of opportunity. Um, right in this situation right here, we 
promote um, equality and non-discrimination in public agency decision-making, so I'll be supporting that change. I'd like to make a substitute motion for the original Code of Ethics to be moved. I'll second that. Okay, we'll go for the substitute motion first. Councilmember Mosher? Aye. Bolton? Aye. Burns? No. Vandermark? Nope. Strickland? Didn't we, isn't there some new thing that you have to vote if you're here? You don't get to not vote? We haven't adopted, that's a proposal that no, 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 we're getting No, no, at the state forward. level. I think no, that no, you, you just you, have to state a reason why you're abstaining. You, no, you don't even have to state a reason. I've been in Sacramento forever. You but at the do, local level, yeah. my understanding is that you have to vote if you're here. That was, that was brought to my attention Robert's recently. Robert's rules. That's not, that's not correct. Look up the Robert's rules. That's not correct. Not voting. Then I'll ask the parliament. Attorney? Can I have a point of order as we go through here? That, can you he opine can on that? He, he can abstain or pass and I... And not vote even though he's here with no yeah, reason? Not vote. And, 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 I, and, I, and I will say, I believe I've seen you do that I've, many, I've many times. No, it's, it's been brought to my attention recently that that is improper technique for holding a public meeting. And if Mr. No. Mr. Gates, if you could send me the section in the Brown Act, that, or not the Brown Act, in the Roberts Rules, which we currently operate under, that explains that you have to vote, or that you don't have to vote. You can just abstain from anything. Okay. Okay, Councilmember McKeon. McKeon. Uh, no. Kalmick. Aye. All right, so we have a 3-3-1. Three, three, that means it fails, correct? City Attorney? Mm -hmm. Yes, fails. motion fails. The okay, let's vote on the... Sub substitute failed, back to the original motion. Yep, yep, and, and let me just qu clarify. We'll just do a minute action for the exhibit, and I'll note it on the resolution. It'll be part of the record. So anyways, we'll go ahead and vote on the original motion. Councilmember Mosier? No. Bolton? No. Burns? Yes. Vandermark? Yes. Strickland? Yes. McKeon? Yes. Kalmick? No. All right, the motion passes 4-3. Okay. Where are we? 1319. Okay, we're on administrative items, number 19. Staff, please introduce your report. Good evening, council members. Um, tonight, we'll, we will be providing a very high-level overview excuse me, of our first <coughs> progress update for the 23-27 strategic plan. Um, just so you know, more details are available in the implementation action plan, which are in your agenda. And both documents were prepared in coordination with our executive leadership and their team, which have done an amazing job of moving this plan forward so far. And our department heads are all here and available to answer any questions you may have after this presentation. Uh, just first, a brief background. We began strategic planning in January 2023, and that eventually led up to a council workshop on June 8th, where council decided on eight major goals and 23 strategies to frame the strategic plan. And then staff went ahead and, and provided some of the detailed tasks that would be included in the plan to help um, achieve the strategic plan. And council adopted that plan on October 3rd via resolution 2326. So moving forward from that point on, staff will present a biannual progress update in January and July of every fiscal year to ensure transparency and accountability and also opportunities for council to provide feedback and also recommend amendments if needed. 
Uh, just a brief overview. Uh, everything in the plan is rooted in our service vision statement, which is committed to responsive and exceptional public service for all. And under the vision statement are eight overarching goals, 23 strategies, or what we refer to as major initiatives, and 99 tasks or steps to achieve each one of them. And most recently, we established 70 milestones or key performance indicators to help us more quantitatively measure the impacts um, of this plan over time. And using all of these metrics, um, staff has determined the plan is on track and achieving its goals in a timely manner. We have about 32% of the plan complete right now, and 47% are in progress. 19% are upcoming and 2% or two tasks out of 99 are just temporarily on hold until we provide, uh, receive more direction. The next few slides are individual progress updates on each of the eight goals. Um, and I'll go over each section on this slide just to provide an overview of all of the information and the data that staff is tracking but for goals two through eight, I'll really focus on the accomplishments because those are the major changes that we've seen since the plan was adopted in October. So goal one is economic development. There's one major strategy to update the 2017 economic development strategy to increase business retention, investments, and jobs. We are about 75% complete and expect to complete the entire update and this goal by fall. Accomplishments include um, holding the Mayor's Economic Development Summit in October and developing a scope of work and timeline to update the 2017 economic development strategy. And we are hoping to complete that in fall of this fiscal, if next fiscal year. And sample KPIs, uh, we've established one so far. It's um, the number of business visits and engagements to track how well engaged we are with our business community and trying to understand what their needs are moving forward. And we will definitely establish more KPIs after the strategy is complete. Uh, goal two is fiscal sustainability. The main objective is to consider new revenue sources that can continually support the city's priorities. And while we don't have any completed strategies right now, 80% are in progress, and all of those tasks are expected to be completed by fall of 2024. Um, one item that will be coming very soon to council is an updated master fee study and cost allocation plan prepared by our finance department. And that'll help make sure that our fees are more reflective of the actual cost of services being delivered. Goal three is high-performing organization. Uh, as a major employer in the city, we find it really important to model service excellence. And we have to do that through professional development training for staff and figuring out ways to improve the services that are being delivered. So goal three is our largest one with seven strategies and 21 tasks. And right now, about 40% is complete. So we're making pretty good progress on that. Uh, some of the major accomplishments include a citywide customer service training, especially for our front-facing employees who really interact with the public, and providing guidance on helping them deliver um, as responsive a service as they can. Um, another accomplishment that we've um, seen this fiscal year is consolidating, reorganizing, and restructuring the city's 30-plus boards, committees, and commissions so that they can run more efficiently and also hiring a new third-party administrator to help manage the uh, workers' comp claims that come through. Okay. Uh, the community has always placed an emphasis on addressing homelessness in the community, and I think we've made some good strides here. 50% uh, of the goal is completed with more work that's underway. 
uh, in addition to improving our current continuum of care for our homeless clients, uh, we've established an HP CARES volunteer program comprised of 20 trained individuals who are working in the Navigation Center. They're also helping the Homeless Task Force with administrative support. So that's a lot of um, uh, additional support and assistance we're getting from the community at a minimal cost to the city. Staff has also established a network of community-based organizations to partner with the city and also provide additional resources. So we are working pretty hard at making sure that our homeless um, situation is addressed as effectively and efficiently as possible. Uh, goal five is address housing needs in, within the city's local control. We're about 75% complete and we plan to complete everything by this fiscal year. Uh, we have established efforts that will be ongoing uh, year after year, um, and they include monitoring state and federal legislation that affects city, especially when it comes to housing, ongoing participation in regional agency efforts, um, including those led by SCAG, and providing comments on any housing policies that might be implemented statewide or regionally, and assisting council on any H items that may come through regarding local control and housing. Goal six is infrastructure. Um, our goal is to maintain and upgrade infrastructure so that we can really support um, the city's day-to-day -day operations and needs. Uh, this goal has actually the largest number of multi-year projects that are gonna you know, span um, quite a few years out of the four years, and so most of these items remain in progress. But by next quarter, um, we will complete uh, the water master plan, the sewer master plan, mobility master plan, fleet capital master plan, and the infrastructure report card. And that will really help us more methodically plan out uh, for the construction um, of these major projects and infrastructure that will help our city run more efficiently. Goal seven, public engagement. We know that that's a really big priority for our city council and our community. Uh, we are about 34% completed and 41% is underway. And some of our major accomplishments include um, projects that have really expanded our reach and gotten more information into the hands of our, of our community. And accomplishments include a citywide branding guide to make more of our materials and content look more uniform, um, expanded outreach through town halls, spot, mayor spotlight, digital content, a citywide event calendar, hiring a multimedia coordinator to provide more HBTV content, and also coming soon, and we're very excited about this, is a new uh, redesigned and restructured city website to provide a more user-friendly experience and more information that's easily accessible by anyone going to our website. And our last goal, um, last but not least, is public safety. Um, this goal is to ensure the protection of all community members. This um, is a goal with major multi-year initiatives. So far, 11% is completed, but 65% is underway. Uh, some of our accomplishments include developing a new program for interns who can be trained in uh, the HB way and become viable candidates to transition into higher level positions in the fire department and also realigning inspection assignments to complete life safety and fire permit inspections in a timely manner. And in all, this is all to help um, develop a huge citywide comprehensive risk reduction program. Um, this goal also includes the ongoing construction of the real-time crime center, uh, which will allow the PD to implement a wide range of cutting-edge technologies to make policing more efficient and effective. And so those are all the goals and the progress that we've reported to date. And uh, we just wanted to also list um, 
some of the FY24, 25 projects that are coming up for your awareness. Um, as you see listed on here, we have the one-stop shop, the world-class beach restrooms, the pre-construction work that is, um, any election costs related to Measure C ballot measures, um, for example, world-class beach restrooms may need to go to the voters. And I know there was initial discussion amongst council about potentially amending Measure C guidelines to be more facilitative. And so those two items may go onto the ballot in November if the council so wills it. Um, Public Works is also working on a facilities condition assessment. Um, IS is working on a fiber master plan. We have a centralized online communications hub that's um, in development that's also known as 311 and the real-time crime center as I mentioned earlier. And we don't have exact costs for these items and they're all in development right now, but our goal is to get this, um, get more details through you, to you through the FY2425 budgeting process or individually through budget requests. And so the recommendation is to receive and file the 2327 strategic plan progress update number one. And if you have any further questions, please feel free to ask us. Does anyone have any questions? Council Member Moser. Thank you very much for all of your work. Um, I appreciate it, especially, I know we didn't go over it now because it's pretty detailed, but the spreadsheet um, that had the goal, the success indicator, strategies, key tasks and deliverables, status, completion percentage, timeline, current status, KPIs, key performance indicators, and who's responsible as well as costs. Um, I was one of the ones that asked for the key performance indicators, so I appreciate that, and I um, did take um, a lot of um, time in looking at those. Um, and I appreciate that those key performance indicators are generally related to kind of the item, or I'll even call it a project um, in particular. Um, when I was going through it though, um, I was it brought to mind that we might have an opportunity to do a more broad, uh, or do more broad key performance indicators. Um, when you have the success indicator, for instance, an engaged city workforce that is committed to responsive and exceptional public service for all and achieves a customer service satisfaction rating of 90% or higher. So you do have that one piece in there. But there might be other um, opportunities. And I, I have ideas, but I would definitely love for perhaps staff to go back and look at each of those, and that might be something that I would recommend tonight, to look at the different success indicators and to provide key performance indicators for each of those. So what, what I'm thinking is we've talked in the past about having on our new website a digital dashboard. And there, uh, I, I have worked on these types of things in the past, and what you want to see is for the public to see very quickly um, how we're doing in each of these areas. And the public isn't necessarily that... Uh, invested in each of the projects individually, but they want to see overall how we're doing in areas. So they kind of want to see maybe a red, green, or yellow even to be able to look at something really quickly. Um, things that could include be included there, um, like right now for homelessness. We have current KPIs include volunteer numbers, partnerships, homeless count, and housing navigation, which are all great. Um, but that focuses a lot more on process versus outcome such as long-term housing stability or reduction in homelessness. And there's different um, indicators that could be used to be able to do that so that over time and not just via project, the public and the council would better be able to um, see how we're doing overall. I had some other ones pulled up here. Um, also on, let's see, 
high-performing high organization, you could have overall employee turnover rate, public trust and confidence in city management, like a survey, things like that. Those types of things would actually look at the broad overarching issue that we're looking at in addition to all of these projects. Um, so I love what, all that's going on. Um, my recommendation would be to um, receive and file, but also to perhaps ask staff to go back and look at those broader um, possible key performance indicators for the success indicators, so that way um, it's more transparent to the community and also it aligns with more of a long-term vision of how we're doing. I could explain more, but that's it, probably enough. <laughs> Thank you. Did, you. did you make a motion to receive and file? I made a motion to receive and file and then also to add um, to have staff go back and create broader um, and maybe bring back to us uh, key performance indicators for each of the success indicators and under each goal. Would that be in July? Um, I wasn't going to put a time on it, actually. It would either be at the next time or if they did it in advance of that. Time would be July. Yeah. It's, I'd yeah. second it if it's July. Yes, we can make it happen for July. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. So you made the motion. Council Member Burns or Mayor Pro Tem second. Please call the vote. Got it. Council Member Mosier? Aye. Bolton? Aye. Burns? Aye. Vandermark? Yes. Strickland? Aye. McKeon? Yes. Kalmick? Aye. Passes 7 0. Thank you. Now moving on to council member items. Um, items number 20 and 21 are very similar, so can we, we should probably just combine the two, discuss them at the same time, and vote separately on the two recommendations. Um, who would, count, uh, Mayor Pro Tem Burns, you go first. All right. OC wants to exercise their 63-year-old easement, the Miller Holder easement, west of Roan Lane and south of Heil Avenue in Huntington Beach. Over the years, residents, owners have placed pools, structures, plants, sheds, et cetera, on the easement that has a six foot, it's actually 69, 67 inches, I believe, uh, pressurized raw sewage pipe below the easement. The pipe was installed before any of the homes were built and the easement documents state the conditions of the 63 year old easement. The residents and owners and the OC SAN are trying to work out an agreement of a conflict on how to exercise the easement. The owners, I've spoken to several of them, I've exchanged emails, and the question of the easement is not a, uh, in question. It is, it's there, and it's, everybody understands what the conditions were that I've spoken to. But my recommended action is it is requested that the Huntington Beach City Council direct the city manager and city attorney to work with OC Stan and the residents and homeowners of Rhone Lane affected by the Miller Holder easement towards an agreeable solution if both sides, OC, if both OC Stan and the owners and residents should ask. That's it. Council Member Kalmick. Thank you. Um, I appreciate that uh, Mayor Pro Tem Burns has brought his item forward as well. Um, the Brown Act precluded us from uh, seeing what everybody was doing until the agenda showed up. So we had competing items. Um, uh, and so, you know, the item that Councilmember um, Bolton and Mosier and myself brought forward um, is slightly nuanced, different, but I think it's the goal um, of at least us is to 
um, advocate for our residents. Um, you know, we had a group of folks come down here, uh, and I agree that the easement is not in question. I think it's the solution that OC San has brought forward. I think it's the uh, timing of it, right? That was garbage time. For you got 60 days, but try to get a hold of your attorney on December 22nd and figure out what's going on. I mean, there's been no, it's been 20 something years. There's no project, and I mean, till the, the next budget potentially in September, but my understanding is that there's no CIP for probably 10 years on this. Um, I understand that OC San wants to get this done. It's great. Um, I talked to the chair uh, of the board uh, last week, and unfortunately, we did not get agendized for next meeting. Um, OC San, I don't think, is going to ask us for any help because they just want to cruise down and do what they want to do, right? They have authority to move everybody's block wall, rip up everybody's pool, but I think there's a nuanced solution here that involves some winners and losers, right? I think everybody getting their wall jacked all the way down 30 feet with a gate in it, and yeah, it gets paid for. It's still unclear if the people with pools are getting theirs paid for based on the language that OC SAN provided. Um, I'm glad that OC SAN has opted to come up with some money for this. Like that's like probably an arm twist to get a bunch of members from Anaheim and South County to, uh, or middle of the county to agree to come up with ratepayer dollars to help with something that- Clean up. Yeah, effectively move their wall. But, does the wall need to be moved in all circumstances? Does the wall, does the easement need to be executed at 30 feet? Could it be 28 and a half feet and that saves somebody's pool? Um, does, do, do the folks, there's about six or eight folks that have major encroachment and I can understand Murphy's law on this that um, the pipe breaks right under the, somebody who's got you know eight feet of concrete above the pipe and now we're months or weeks trying to get the concrete out and, the, and we've got pressurized sewage in there. But I think there's a solution that's different than we're gonna come in and you have now 14 days to determine if you're gonna effectively lose feet of your property. They're gonna move the wall back to the easement line. Um, uh, the fact that it's 60 days and then it, over Christmas, over New Year's, again, like you've lost three weeks there. So, you know, I was hoping that Sand District could give us some more time and they'd have to call a special meeting, I think, at this point. I don't know what type of leeway staff has in, in this, this discussion, you know, I'd hope that residents would reach out to OC San and ask for more time individually. Um, again, I'm disappointed in the way OC San handled this. Um, you know, a 60-day um, letter going out December 1st without letting, I mean, I, I wasn't made aware. I asked them specifically when I was briefed in September and I was briefed a couple years ago um, to, hey, let us know so that we can be advocates and talk to our residents and you know let them know but again there's the 60-day timeline doesn't make any sense um they need some more time to figure out what's best for them but again i think there is a nuanced solution um that doesn't necessarily have to affect some of the folks that have no encroachment why do they need to move their wall back if their wall allows the truck to get there does it need to move back all the way to the easement line can it move back 10 feet because i think if we move these walls back you've now created a green space that is now a place for folks yeah. Just so people understand in the audience or whoever's listening, it was a 30-foot easement, and really the encroachment was about 20 feet. And right. just so you, it's under, a little more understandable, and during the time people have built. Yeah, and some of these folks bought their homes with stuff already there. Some folks, it's unclear as to when some of these things got built. Um, so it's a, it's a 
It's an odd situation. I understand why Sand District wants to clean up. They've got two issues. They've got to be able to get their trucks down the back to clean out this pipeline. Um, and they've got to be able to... Every emerge. six to eight weeks. Yeah, every six to eight weeks. It's got a, a, an inverse siphon, I believe, is what they, the term is used. They've got to drag a tire through it to clean it out uh, as it goes under the Wintersburg Channel. Um, it's a weird design. And when you know, I was briefed on this, I said, well, can you move... If the pipeline's ending, it's near its end of life, 10 years, can you move it? Right, and then you put it in a street so that you've got public access to it. And north of Heil, there seems to have no access issue. But in this case, as I said, like, does the sand? You know, the easement was put in in the 50s. Do they need that extra foot? Can it be nuanced that okay, this person's pool is right up against it? Can they move the wall and keep their pool? Um, the property tax issue, I also think, is really interesting, but that's for someone else to discuss. But effectively, what I, you know, what I think we're asking for is a little bit more time for residents to figure this out and ask the Sand District for a little bit more time, since there doesn't seem to be a pressing issue. Um, and in the meantime, see if there is a nuanced solution that the city could potentially help with. Right? There was some access issues because again, you got to solve two problems. One is the getting the trucks down there to clean it out, and the other problem is getting access in an emergency. And some of those issues, obviously, are all of them are solved by a simple solution of moving everybody's wall back. But then you're losing property, right? You're losing, you're going to lose access to property, and now we potentially have an attractive nuisance where we've got a an area that property holders can't see back there. And there are obviously, if you in, in the police blotter, um, we see there's trash fires back there, and we have we have unhoused folks back there. And to give more footage back there, um, I don't think is a is a great solution. Um, but again, the Sand District, it's their easement. They're going to want to make it easy for them and not have to negotiate each, you know, what it's going to look like. And it may not look perfect straight line. Um, and as an engineer, I would love to have a perfect straight line. But if we can save somebody's pool or we can save, um, you know, someone's access to their backyard while still giving the Sand District the ability to get their truck in there, I think that there's some metrics that it's all or nothing. Again, I, I don't think we ever explored getting down the flood control channel coming that way for an access issue. It still doesn't address the open to the sky issue for maintenance, uh, for um, emergency fixes of the pipeline. But I know that Sand District had issues with, they were worried their trucks were too heavy and they were going to compact the slope. But that channel has been upgraded since I think the last time we looked at this. So I would just like the, you know, our staff to get involved in this, um, to have a little fewer more conversations with Sand District staff because uh, Public Works is good and we got secret stuff that they don't know about and they got stuff that we don't know about, but to really advocate for our residents in this and just to get a little bit more time because I think folks are freaked out and didn't have a chance to talk to anybody. And the folks that I talk with were like, they're only going to talk to property owners and they're only going to talk, and my parents are 87 and I don't want my parents sitting in a room with Sand District attorneys. You know, we have, it's in the trust and they just, they didn't have time to like get a power of attorney. They didn't know what to do and, and having Sand District say, we're not going to meet with you in a town hall setting, I think was also kind of frustrating. Um, I think as a president, if I was told like, we're only gonna talk to you one-on-one -on -one, and I have to get, it just, again, there is I think a better way to handle this and I, hopefully if we can get some more time from this uh, and then you know you leverage our city staff to at least, I'm happy to spend a little bit of time and, and treasure to try to figure out if there's a better solution for something that's existed for a long time and Sand District could have asserted this 30 years ago and they've tried they've tried over the years several times yeah and as recent as i believe it was 2021 and then 2018 and at, yeah. yeah and 18 i think 08 and just certain reasons it's been kicked down line which i think has made the problem worse and yeah. i don't think we should be involved until they exhaust their they have direct communication with oc san that's the thing they it's between them and oc san and we should be careful about getting involved when they have 
open line of communication and they can contact them, arrange meetings, and go over everything because each property has a unique situation. Is the pro that's why it's a hard for a town hall. But they all have uniques and all different. Some people have no problems. I mean, they haven't really encroached. I think there's two people in there that haven't encroached. Two of our lines, our city lines, come in through that those houses and tie into that pipe. Mm -hmm. And so they, there's easements between the houses on a couple of them. But at this point. I think let the homeowners in OC San ha deal it in the best they can because they, they have the opportunity to have an open communication and speak with OC San. They're not unreasonable. And if they come back and say, A, OC San and uh, the uh, residents or homeowners come back and say, God, we need some help, you know, to mediate this or whatever, okay. But otherwise, I think they should exhaust the the path that's already laid out. Uh, I think we're there, though. I think we had a group of folks show up tonight that represented. They haven't. They haven't all. But they've got 14 days, so I mean that's really. They've they, they've had 63 years. But though. They, this is the but they it sand pulled the pulled the ripcord. So. Yeah. Is there an urgency? Uh, maybe. Uh, City Attorney Gates might know a little bit about. Is there an urgency uh, to get this done now? What's the sense of urgency from the Sand District? Why um, are there other alternative routes that we could help from a city perspective? Because um, you know, I met with a couple of the, uh, the homeowners, and they're they're freaking out. As I don't know how something like this can even happen, to be honest. Um, but we're here; it's happened. But yeah. how does this happen is beyond me. But. Um, are there other alternatives, um, routes? What's a sense of urgency from the Sand District's perspective to get it done now? So I think, I think um, and I've had uh, the, the attorneys for OC Sand reached out to me, and I've, I've spoken to them as well, um, because there is a bit of an impasse between OC Sand and the homeowners, and so they're looking for a way to try to uh, have a, a bit of a breakthrough and try to work, work through this. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, you know, I, I, I never saw the letter. I guess there's a, a February 1st deadline uh, for them to respond. Um, it's my understanding from the attorneys, and I, and I in order to uh, make sure that future communications are productive, I don't really want to disclose everything that I talked about with them. But the gist of it is uh, that they are, are very concerned about um, the age of the pipe and the need to access the pipe. One of the things I propose to them is um, along the lines of what Councilmember Kamek was saying is, you know, is there an alternative to clearing the 30 feet that they believe that they're entitled to? I will tell you too that I read the lease, my, I'm sorry, the easement myself, um, and it's, a, it's very, very sloppily worded, and I think, um, I think the homeowners have a point um, that it's uh, very unclear because in large part, um, setting aside the specific language of the easement, um, when an easement basically says, basically holds that I have a right of certain use to somebody else's property. But when that easement, as OC San is basically saying, transmutes into complete entire ownership and total possession of the entire ground surface, that's really not an easement. That's owning it in fee, um, and they've essentially allowed them to occupy it for the past few de decades, right? So there's a bunch of moving parts here. Um, the, the homeowners, some of the homeowners have reached out to me as well. I, I think that the, this February 1st timeline is really kind of artificially imposed. I think the OC San is just trying to move the ball were, forward. Were they amenable to moving that? Um, so that was never brought up. 
Okay. Um, so this uh, idea of trying to get them to move um, might be helpful. Uh, I do think that if the city council were to take a position tonight and send a message that they would like to help um, facilitate maybe a compromise um, yeah. or some resolution that everybody can work with, including, as Mr. Kelmick or Councilmember Kelmick indicated, moving that date out, I think that would be a help. Um, to sort of lubricating um, the process. And were these residents notified of this easement or by the realtors when they bought the home? Well, so, you know, I didn't speak to all the residents or all, all the homeowners, um, and, and everybody's got their own story, right? The issue, though, is the easement itself is two pages of kind of complicated phraseology. It's just, right. I mean, a, an easement like that could be done in three or four sentences, but it was overly complicated and the conclusion, I think, uh, the homeowners at least, and at least one of their attorneys is saying, the conclusion of that easement is debatable. So that's between the, them and their, their attorneys and OC San. The, the fact of the matter is, I think if, if there's a battle in court over who's, rights, uh, who's right and who's wrong, um, you know, I think everybody loses. I think at the end of the day, if there's a way to compromise, whether it's you know, moving the pipe into, I think that's a railroad, you know, area or there's, no? I don't think that's, am a, I wrong about I, that? I, it's that would I don't think there's at least some, point. some uh, undeveloped land back there, but, yeah. but whatever, right. I'm not an engineer, but right. all I'm saying is there may be a way uh, to, to strike a compromise. I don't want to get ahead of this process um, or, or get anybody's hopes up, but it does seem that it's, it's a very strange situation that rests on a poorly worded easement. Right. I will say that much. And my overall fear too is that everybody, as uh, City Attorney Gay said, everybody loses, right? They, the timeline expires, Sand District says our offer's off the table, they sue, go to court, and the judge says, no, the easement's right, you gotta move it. Now they're out, attorneys, residents are out, attorney's fees, and they gotta you know, move their wall at their, at their cost, right? Like, so that's, that's the, the kind of the teetering here, and so because there is some concern, but not an emergency on this, and the February 1st deadline is looming. Mm -hmm. That was the idea, it was like, hey, can we get a couple of more months here, see if there's some nuance other than, uh, but, and also, you know, I think we got elected to help our, you know, help our, our, um, our residents here. And, and is there anything we could do from the city perspective to help mitigate um, in, in any way, uh, on alternatives or changing dates? Well, and I think some direction- Are we getting, a, a, um, I, I want to be respectful, Mr. Burns is the one representing uh, OC Sand, but um, I'm also I'm not. It's not that I'm not interested, or it, it's not that I'm not supportive or anything. I, no, but I've not. read all the paperwork. I've talked to the both sides of the story. It's not a question of the easement. It's no permanent structures on it. it and OC Sand's very worried about the weight on top of it, the pipe, and it'd be a mess. It's a high pressure, 67 inch raw sewage pipe that serves like seven cities including mm -hmm. Anaheim and everything in between and it would be a hell of a mess if something happened and they didn't get to it right away all all I'm saying is we don't if I don't suggest that we get involved in between OC San and the residents and the owners in a like legal way, a legally binding way or anything, because it's between them. It's not, it doesn't really involve us well, in, in that manner. It's going to be whatever council wants us to do. And I don't mind us making a request. You can make a request, but it would be a non-binding if either side said, nah, we're, we're going to press forward because they both had years 
to prepare for this day right. and kicking it down the road. I feel I feel has only made it worse. Well, ha has the sand district the said um, the urgency right now is because of it's about to fall apart, or is there any? There's just too much weight on it. Yeah. And well, and and I would I will add for a little bit more context to Council Member or Mayor Pro Tem Burns. Um, I've spoken to the attorneys and probably half a dozen residents, and you know, of the 14 people I've spoken to, everybody's got a different version about mm -hmm. where that pipe even really is. So for everybody to not only be talking about a different interpretation of the law, i.e. a different rate of the easement, and then nobody can agree on where the pipeline actually is underneath the ground. Like, they don't even know what they're disagreeing on. It seems to make sense that if, if we could help out with some of the resources from the city manager's office. I'm happy to uh, continue the conversation with the attorneys and then uh, maybe a little bit of support from Public Works to the extent that they have old files or whatever. I mean, I'm I like to see. I like to see if there's alternatives. One, because February 1st has moved, asked respectfully to move the date um, and, and see if there's any alternatives. And what we could do from a city's perspective to maybe mitigate something, uh, there might be a solution there. So I hope there is. I have a comment. So. If it's appropriate, then, to make a motion um, to ask OC SAN to uh, push the date back um, and offer, in the spirit of co cooperation, for the city to help facilitate a conversation, then I would make that motion. I also want to add, so Friday I went and walked the, um, the area where the line is, along with um, uh, the interim city manager and some staff and the mayor and uh, talked to a resident as well who was kind enough to let us into his backyard so that we could see where he had marked the pipeline based on what he had been told by OC San. Um, for his part, you know, he's like, yeah, we would really appreciate someone helping us facilitate a conversation because for whatever reason, they, don't, they feel like they're not able to have a conversation with OC San and that's not, you know, casting any aspersion on OC San. Um, it just does sound like they might be um, at a point of impasse. I also want to add to uh, what we noticed as we walked the area is that, you know, there there is um, activity behind where the um, uh, cinder block walls and fences are um, between that and where the railroad tracks are. And um, the homeowners have told us that there are fires that have been set. They've seen drug dealing going on. Um, and, you know, there are unhoused people back there, too. It's also a good idea for us to have some visibility into what's going on there because whatever solution is developed, we want to know what that is. Because if a solution is developed and it ends up exacerbating that problem um, that the homeowners have identified, that concern that they have about fires and drug deals and things like that, you know, why make a bad situation worse? So I personally would hope that we would um, try to make sure we have some visibility into what's going on no matter what, because if there are issues, crime and things like that, that's on the city. Thank you. I'd like to second the motion that um, Councilmember Bolton made. Um, and also, um, you know, I, I, I too think that there's an opportunity here. Um, I did get to go out today, this morning actually, and I think I went into the same backyard as the residents that you did and they expressed the same concerns. Um, if we could provide some, a little bit of time and space, and I know that we can't demand that, but if we can make a recommendation for it and show that we're willing to, 
you know, maybe not be binding as um, Mayor Pro Tem said, but just to be able to offer some resources and give people a little bit of space to make a decision, I think that that makes a lot of sense. And also, as Councilmember Bolton said, you know, I don't know what the, um, as far as the um, kind of cleaning up that back area, there is some opportunity there. And I know that um, as part of this, I think they were gonna lay down gravel and do some different things. Um, but there's definitely some opportunity there where we could perhaps as a city try to either, um, I don't know if it's um, getting them to say what they're going to do maintenance wise, or for us to get some type of exchange where we do the maintenance, but it's provided for by them, because um, there was a fair amount of graffiti um, on the walls. I know that the walls there, um, it's both the business's property as well as the residents' walls, um, but perhaps there's something that OC San might be able to do as they move forward, whether or not they move the walls or not. Um, so again, I make a second for that motion and hopefully we can find a little bit of space and time and help out with this situation. So could, could you clarify the motion? Uh, you're, you're seconding Council Member Bolton's motion, not Burns or Kalmick's, or? My understanding, my understanding if I, I might, uh, is combining number 20 and 21 together. And what we do is understanding uh, Mayor Pro Tem Burns, uh, yes, this Sand District, we can't force them to do that, but we're re recommending and asking them to move the date so we can see from a city perspective, we can have any help with alternatives to hopefully solve a problem that hopefully can be mitigated. Is that, is that about right? Yeah, mm -hmm. that's an accurate description. I wanna make sure that we are not gonna engage our city attorney as legal counsel for the residents, so that is- No, he represents a city. 100%. The residents. Yeah. 100 percent yeah no we're not we're not engaging yeah. the city attorney to represent the right. and it's a request to sit oc san to just give them more time give yep. them more yes. time 60 yeah. more days does the i asked earlier does in the motion that you voted on in oc san to, to allocate the money to do this um was there staff direction to get this done at, at this time or is there some wiggle room they've got a timeline but does, got, I think September is when they would start the Okay, but does, sta does staff have wiggle room without having to have board action at the Sand District to extend, to potentially extend this? Do they, could they have discretion? Do you remember? They have some discretion, I believe. Okay. But I'm not. So, it, the meeting's tomorrow. So it's been moved by um, right. Moser and But it's Bolton. just a request. If right. they can't, right. they yeah, can right. tell I, us the. I result. think that would be very uh, positive to move the 20 and 21 together on that, on the. On and, those motions. And as a, as a comment on that, I know one of the residents had asked for 120 days. I don't know what's reasonable, but perhaps that can be mentioned since that was the direct ask of the residents. It's been moved and seconded. Uh, okay, just to, yeah, so I understand the clarification and it's items 19 and 20. I just want to sorry. clarify. That's fine. No, it's 20 and 21. No, it's, I was right, 20 and 21. It is 20 and 21. It's 20 and 21, I was right. For mm -hmm. council member items. Yeah, so I have a, an error on my script. Okay. okay. <laughs> Sorry well, about that. I, that on at least my agenda, I don't know about everybody else's. Right, okay. So, um, and it's to request that the city attorney request that the OC San move the February 1st deadline that back we, 60 that we days. we ask respectfully, yes. yes. Um, and that, that I, I, I would like to at least add, if you don't mind, um, 
that maybe our city manager can be involved with the city attorney uh, because the public works. We're all going to have to see if we can work together to do a mitigation. So right. I would, so I would ask that, that, the two motions. that yeah. direction, correct. Mm. All right, okay. So um, staff and the city attorney. Uh-huh, staff and the city attorney. All right. For, and actually, we mentioned 120 days, if possible. If possible, and a city attorney agreed to that. All right, we'll go ahead and vote. Councilmember Mosher? Aye. Bolton? Aye. Burns? <laughs> Aye. Vandermark? Yes. Strickland? Aye. McKeon? Yes. Kalmick? Aye. All right, item passes 7 0 as amended. Okay, thank you. Now we're moving on to the last item, I believe, 22. Um, Councilmember Moser, Kalmick, who would like to start? Thank you. Um, so this item uh, came out of a tour we had up in Riverside a couple of months ago um, to see their one-stop shop. Uh, and I went back to talk to staff a little bit, and having done um, uh, my time on the planning commission, kind of understanding the entitlement process, planning process, and one of the hang-ups is um, getting plan checked through. And I think the mayor and I went and toured uh, TS uh, Conductor, which makes cool wire, and we're actually making stuff in Huntington Beach. And one of the questions during kind of talking with them was, um, is there anything we can do? And they said they spent four months in plan check just for tenant improvements. And that's a long time because they're servicing debt. And so um, one of the things that Riverside does is they have expedited plan check where you can pay to effectively uh, pay overtime to staff. It's all voluntary. It's only available if staff wants the, the over the expedited plan check is only available if staff wants it. Um, and if there's nobody available and no one wants it, then we, the expedited plan check queue is closed. But it allows um, uh, for plan check to go quicker. It's a pro-business uh, piece, um, but the, one of the hang-ups is that some of those plan checkers are in management, um, and we would need to uh, negotiate with uh, municipal uh, managers, um, whereas the Teamsters like, already have this effectively uh, in their cadre. But um, we've got fire folks and public works folks that would all need to kind of discuss this. But um, this will likely be part of the one-stop shop that I think we all agree is, uh, is a great pro-business piece. Uh, but we wanted to get a leg up on this now because the negotiation with the bargaining units to kind of solve this all out may take some time going forward and likely we have uh, contracts expiring at the end of the year. So this seemed like a really straightforward pro-business um, option that uh, would be great for our businesses doing tenant improvements and trying to open businesses here in Huntington Beach. So um, I'll move the item. I don't know if um, anybody I'll second. Else? Let's have a comment. So <clears throat> to me, this is already, not to me, but this is already in process as we directed staff to do this as part of the one-stop shop. And we're already ex uh, analyzing the expedited plan check option with our fee study. So to me, this is duplicative of what's already in process. And you guys have talked many times about not burning staff time and resources. And this is exactly what this is um, because again, it's already in process. So. When the fee study comes back, we can then talk about pay with the bargaining units. But again, this is duplicative. It's already in process. We all voted as a, as a, a council to direct staff to do this as part of the one-stop shop. So I don't, I don't think this is necessary. Well, and it was be, because of that tour that we took of that facility that um, actually our city manager went with us as well where he said, well, that's a great idea. So um, I believe we're already in the works. To, for, to put the concierge service expedited process, Have, haven't we already started that? Yeah, so Jen, can you give an update on that? 
We requested, I mean, we requested that um, expedited plan review be included in the fee study and update that's currently being studied right now. So, yeah. So, yes, yeah, so it's already being studied, but this is the policy direction to put this into place as fast as possible because we agree this is going to be part of the one-stop shop. Now, there's a whole tier of other one-stop shop pieces based on the strategic plan we saw earlier. Um, so it's effectively moving this to the top of the queue because it's something we can implement now. We're going to go into contract negotiations in November, December, or actually even earlier than that. And the fee study will land uh, and staff will be directed to get this going because this is simple. This doesn't require development of or moving anybody around, any building in the city because part of the one-stop shop is literally moving folks up and down around the floors, putting everybody on the same floor. So this is effectively saying, hey, this is a really easy policy that we can get launched more quickly. Um, it's our policy we already agree on, and it's, it, I don't believe it's duplicative because the bargaining unit piece is not something that we've talked about. Um, and I talked to uh, staff and plan checkers in the past. We looked at doing something like this, but the biggest holdup was the bargaining units, so that they don't have an ability to take overtime. Uh, currently, and so this would be something that we could get faster than the standard one-stop one shop program because the streamlining process doesn't currently allow for that level of um, uh, or have managers at least do the plan checks. What so, would happen if somebody <laughs> we take their money and nobody wants the overtime? It would work the other way around. So we would check with, hey, we have this much queued overtime available in the queue and then we'd say okay we have we can take this many hours of plan check so they, they would open the queue up for this as opposed to um the other way around so if someone would come and say we'd like expedited plan check we go and look and say hey we don't have anybody that wants it or we have no contract planners that we can hire to do it um then they'd say sorry you, you can submit your regular application and how, much, how much faster is the process going to be i don't know we'd have to find out like ideally it would be much faster um, that would you, you'd be basically paying for your own plan checker to go through this instead of waiting through the queue. Um, and ideally, we've got you know either staff. The, the goal would be that staff gets first crack. If all staff says no, then we can go to a contract planner to approve it, and that person gets through the queue much more quickly. Um, and we could actually implement the non-bargaining unit piece. I think potentially tomorrow, right? If there was no, if the senior planners don't need it, I don't know specifically. Staff would have to comment on that, but that could happen instead of happening. Um, you know, in December, it just again, it seemed like something that we could get off the out of the uh, the bricks more quickly than waiting till sometime in 2025 to implement. But again, to me, it's already in process. We're analyzing the expedited plan check, and it's part of the fee study. So we need the fee study to come back first. That's already in process. Once that comes back, then we can talk about pay with the bargaining unit. So again, to me, it's duplicative. It's already in process. So let's let the fee study come back, and then we'll deal with it then. Council Member Moser. If I think we all agree, uh, we already voted for the one-stop shop, so we definitely are all on the same page with regards to that policy, which is essentially trying to expedite um, our permitting processes. If we could expedite that expediting, I think that there's so much value in being able to do that. When we visited Riverside, um, they did talk about um, that piece of things, and one, making sure that you had the, um, the bargaining units available or the staff available to do that and having all of those um, agreements already planned out and or if they weren't available, moving that out to contracting, but where they would get the opportunity first. I think um, if the goal, if this could happen more quickly, Councilmember McKeon, if it could make it go more quickly, I know you think it's duplicative, but if, if this could allow things to move more quickly, would you be in support of it? Jennifer, when, when will the fee study come back? 
I think it should come back by the time the budget or sooner, so within the next three to four months. Okay. So again, like we can't do anything until it comes back anyway, so I mean, it's in process. We could start negotiating with labor units so that we don't start when the fee study starts. It's literally, it's just, it's moving, it's streamlining. You don't have fees to negotiate from. It's not what you're, that's not what you're discussing. You're discussing the ability for managers to get paid overtime because they currently don't have that in their contract. Yeah, you don't have to have the specificity of what the fees are going to be. Um, it's, it's purely just to be able to say, will you be able to have overtime mm-hmm. in the contract? So it's, it's a win-win-win for everybody. We get people open for business more quickly, staff gets paid overtime, and our, our folks that uh, our businesses are able to get their process, their plans processed. Again, so, again we're in agreement on that. That's yeah. already in process. You, you have to have a sequence of events. What is, the, the, what is voting the, the, the train has left the station. It's moving down. We're analyzing expedited plan check as part of the fee study. Let the fee study come back, and then we can start talking about it. It's not part of the fee study. And have you guys... Mayor, uh, I would like to direct the mayor. It, the, uh, it sounds like we're saying the same thing uh, many, many, many times. Uh, unless someone has something new to say, I would say we move forward. What, did anybody make a motion? Yeah. You made a motion to... I made a motion. And then the second. Councilmember Bolton seconded. Okay, call the vote, please. Councilmember Mosher. Aye. Bolton. Aye. Burns. No. Vandermark. No. Strickland. No. McKeon. No. Kalmick. Aye. The motion passes 4-3. Thank you, Nadul. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, it fails 3-4. Sorry, I always get that wrong. Okay, Um, looks like we're done. Do we have a motion to adjourn? Move to adjourn. Okay, we're adjourned.